get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, maybe tonight's night for Adam Wainwright. Bradley, it's been a long while since Adam has won a game. June 17th in New York against the Mets. Down the third baseline, fair! The Royals are on the board first tonight at Kauffman Stadium. Cool. And now Melendez shoots the gap. Back-to-back doubles for the Royals, and it's 3-0 in the bottom of the first. Only Morris punches it back up the middle. Melendez rounds third. Throw home, cut off. It's 4-0 Royals in the bottom of the first. Baseball's a cruel game sometimes, isn't it? Wainwright's thrown 19 pitches to six men, and Kansas City has scored four. It looks like that's going to be it for Adam Wainwright. The Royals in an inning plus against Adam Wainwright. Eight runs, nine hits, two homers. No one wants more than that man, but I think the way he would describe this outing, in fairness, would be very, very sad. That's what it sounded like over the week on a weekend on both Valley Sports Midwest and I, I think that's the, the right Royals TV network. Yeah, from the 1950s. <laughs> Was that the 1908? <laughs> Come on down to check out the Kansas City Royals. Oh, the deep flight of left field. Hey, listen, in Kansas City, we're still trying to work out like the whole digital thing. We've got oh, the bunny yeah. ears on our television. Do, do we still listen to podcasts on cassette tapes? <laughs> Have yourself a nice ice cream cone from the Sony Everybody shop. Everybody in Kansas City understood the CD-ROM reference that you made, Alex. Let's just put it that they way. They understood the uh, eight-track reference that I'm about <laughs> to make at some point. So that's what it sounded like over the weekend. Uh, not a great start by Adam Wainwright, to put it mildly. He now, Alex, among Major League Baseball starters, not just like here in St. Louis, but, you know, the history of Major League Baseball. There's only... Two other starters that have a worse single season ERA than Adam Wainwright has right now. This is what we're witnessing right now. One of the worst single seasons ever. And I don't say that to kick the man while he's down. I'm just trying to put into context what we're watching and why at the end of that game, you could hear somebody like Chip Carey say it's sad to watch this because that's what it is man the guy's got an 8.8 era on the season that's brutal basically every inning that he goes out there he gives up a run trying to get to 200 wins when you are pitching that way is impossible it's just not gonna happen unless you have an offense that goes out there and puts up like 15 runs that's what it's gonna require right now and so that's the backdrop to the questions that were asked after the game 
And here's what Ollie Marmel had to say when he was asked, what's the plan with Adam Wainwright moving forward? This was Friday night after the game. I'll sit back down with Wayno and we'll talk through a couple things before I completely answer your question. But yeah, is it ideal? No, it's not. Um, is it coming out great? No, I didn't look like it today. Is it tough when you put up that many runs and you can't gain momentum because of how many you give up in the first two? Absolutely. So I, I understand all of it. it. It's unfortunate the way this has played out, but I'll sit down with Wayno and we'll talk through some things and see what's next. And here was Adam Wainwright when asked about his thoughts on the performance Friday night. i got to figure out why I'm feeling so much better on my bullpen days than I am on my start days. Uh, this last time was the best time I felt all year on my, on my bullpen day. Yesterday little flat ground session got on the mound a little bit just to feel things out man i was really confident so um i don't know man i keep getting surprised by these outings you know just keep thinking i'm gonna turn a corner and, and be great for this team down the stretch and i just you know just let us down again so i deserve all the negative that i'm getting right now i deserve it you know i can i can i can stand up to that i deserve it and uh you know just gotta wear it and keep going adam wainwright at every turn in his major league career has found a way to get outs it's been the calling card for him. He finds a way to get through it. And Alex, I think he's running out of answers. They decided that they're going to give him one more start. Ollie Marmel announced that yesterday on the Cardinals radio network. I think it's the right call. I think you let this guy get one more opportunity at home to try to get it fixed. And if he doesn't, that should be it. Maybe you put him on the injured list. You let him get one more opportunity in the final game of the season. Send him out and... That's it. That, so, so long, folks, right? That, that's all you do with it. But for right now, I think they are making the right call and you get them one more opportunity at home and then you make your decision there. How did you feel after you watched that on Friday night, Alex? It, it sucks because the same feeling I had in that Royals one was the same feeling I had about two months ago when he was on the mound and he was getting lit up. And I don't remember what the team was, but I remember watching and saying, man, I feel awful for him. Does he call it a career now? And we all agreed the next day, like, no, he's not going to call it a career because he's going to play this thing out. When he walked off that mound in the first inning against the Royals, I asked the same question. Is that the last time we see Adam Wainwright? Because when you give up nine hits and eight earned runs, two home runs, and you're not able to get through more than an inning, you start to wonder, like, do you keep going back out there? And props to Adam Wainwright. Somebody texted in and said, does this man have pride? Yeah, he does have pride, which is why he's trying to finish this season. Because the one thing that's got to suck more than anything for Adam Wainwright is to be forced into retirement during a season. You came back to finish one more year. Yeah, it is not pretty. But to go into your retirement knowing that you could make it through an entire season, that's got to sting even more for Adam Wainwright. So it's so weird, too, because that Diamondback start that he had back in July, I felt like after that performance that the bullpen eventually blew up for him. Shocker. But after that performance, I said, okay, maybe he's got enough in the tank to just get 200 wins. Because if you're a Wayno and you hit 200, then you can call it a career. If it's August, who cares? But now... I don't know if you can get to 200 and they're not going to transition him into a bullpen pitcher to get to 200. So it's the right call to let him finish the season because if Wayno wants to continue to go back out there and if he gets shellacked like this, oh, I'm you, not going to tell him, him no. Keep going every fifth day? Yeah, I would. Oh, I would not. I wouldn't either. Why? What, at some, what is at the some point, you because have you, to balance the per, the future of the organization with the retirement of a franchise If Wayno was competitive and he was going out there every 50, I'm not even saying good, just competitive, and you could get five innings out of him regularly, and you're like, you know what? We're we're not just doing this guy a service. He's, he's doing his job, right? 
you could make the argument, and I'd be totally with you, Alex. I, at this point, I'm no longer there. I, I think you give him one opportunity the next time out, and you see what it looks like. And if he's found something and he's able to get guys out and he's competitive and gets it through five innings and gives himself an opportunity to maybe get to 200 by the end of the year, great. Then he gets another one. He earns another start. But if it looks again like it has the last few times since he's come back from the IL, he's made four starts, thrown 15 innings, and has allowed 29 hits and 21 runs. If it looks like that again, then I, I can't do it anymore, man. I think there will have to be a conversation that takes place between Wayno and Ollie, and they decide either we're going to move you to the bullpen and you'll be in long relief whenever things get ugly, or we're going to shut you down, we're going to put you on the injured list, and we'll try to get you right for the last couple of weeks of the season because I think that spot in the rotation becomes more valuable for either your guy, Zach Thompson, or one of the young guys that's currently down in AAA than it is to try to trot this guy out every fifth day to get to 200 wins when it goes bad again it's pretty unlikely that he ends up being able to get to 200 by the end of the season yeah and, and that's where i am I, I i think you give him one more start and that start will be against the mets this week and if it goes poorly i, I expect an injured list stint I, I don't think he'll go to the pen i i think it would be an il stint and then maybe he gets activated the final home series of the year gets one more start as the send-off i i if it goes bad, I mean, let's just be honest, 200's out the window. I, I thought this was his best opportunity to get 199, right. and if it went this poorly against the Royals, it's hard to see the path forward for not just one more win, but two more wins. So I think it, they're in a tough spot because if you were competitive and you had Wayno, we're not even having a conversation right now. He would be in the bullpen or on the IL. But even now that they're not competitive, this is a this is the one opportunity the Cardinals have to see to see what they have in their young guys because they don't typically get to do this. They don't get opportunities like this because they've been so good for so long to where they can actually see what they have in their system, see what they can learn from their pitchers and give them experience. And right now that's kind of blocked by Adam Wainwright. And I hate to say that, but if it goes poorly again, I think you put him on the eye and you call it McGreevy and start McGreevy. I mean, all you have to do, I, I would I would maybe even go with Thompson. Like I've been the low man on Thompson, but with more information, you can change your opinion on these things. And listen, Thompson was pretty solid again on Friday night in relief of Adam Wainwright went four innings struck out five gave up the four uh, four hits and one earned run but hey man if you keep doing that and now he's up to right around that 75 pitch threshold which they would say basically means he's built up to be a starter I would just flip those two guys put Zach Thompson into the rotation put Adam Wainwright into the bullpen and maybe just use Waino as a piggyback guy right now off of Zach Thompson but there will come a time when that is necessary I think the time when we have that conversation for real will be after his next start. I'm not there yet. I think they're doing the right thing by giving him one more opportunity to go out there at home in front of the fans where everybody will know when Adam Wainwright makes his next start. If you are buying tickets to that game, you very well may be going to the final appearance of Adam Wainwright's careers in the major leagues. And that is expected to be on Thursday night, Cardinals versus the Mets. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. we got plenty of Cardinals coverage throughout the day today. Coming up next, we continue our discussion of the Cardinals pitching staff with Jim Bowden. He's a former Major League Baseball general manager. You can hear him on MLB Network. What would he do with this Cardinals rotation in the offseason? We'll ask Jim Bowden next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One of my favorite 
favorite guest that we can get on the show is Jim Bowden. He's a former Major League Baseball general manager. You can hear him on Sundays on MLB Network Radio starting at 9 a.m. on the front office show with our dear friend Jim Duquette. Jim, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today via the 101 ESPN hotline. How you doing? I'm doing great. Great feedback on your show. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So, uh, Jim, you know the big thing going on here in St. Louis this year is that the pitching just has not gone according to plan. When you look at the Cardinals' rotation, what they thought they were going to have coming into the season and what has actually happened with that, what went wrong in your mind? What a nightmare, huh? Um, Yeah, I mean, look, you don't know for sure going into the season that Adam Wainwright was done and had nothing left. He didn't know that, although we did see signs in the World Baseball Classic that we're heading there. Look, you can't – look, a lot of us looked at the Cardinals team, including me, and I thought it would be a really fun race between the Cardinals and Brewers when the season started. Uh, but when you don't pitch, it gets ugly, and and that's exactly what happened. And as you know, this is a team that's 22nd out of 30 teams in Team ERA, and that's not going to allow you to be a contender. It's just not. Offense has been okay, 11th out of the 30, and – and the defense, not what we're used to with the Cardinals outside of first base, third base, and a couple other spots. So, you know, it just wasn't um, – it's one of those years. Um, and you know what? Sometimes these years are good because it gets you a good draft pick the next year that St. Louis is not used to having. Uh, and number two, it allows you to really understand what you have to do to regroup and go forward. So moving forward, Jim, do you believe that the Cardinals can fix this in one off season? I mean, it's possible, sure. I mean, the only difficult part with this – is in order to fix it in one off season, you're going to have to play checkbook baseball. Now, the good news is the free agent market is loaded with starting pitchers. And, and that's, that's a really good thing uh, because you've got Aaron Nola out there. You've got Blake Snell. You've got Julio Urias. Uh, you've got um, Yamamoto from Japan, from the, from the Oryx Buffaloes. You have Sonny Gray. You have Marcus Stroman. You've got Eduardo Rodriguez. You got Lucas Giolito. You got a couple of the Cardinal starters that you traded. So it's a loaded free agent market for starting pitching. So if if you want to fix it, I mean, you go you go sign two of the starting two of the starting pitchers, and you know you're, you're close. Then maybe make a trade or two, and boom, there you are. So I think it's doable. I do. Now let's ask the obvious follow up there, Jim. Do you think the Cardinals are willing to do what is necessary <laughs> in terms of that that money that they're going to have to shell out in order to get these starting pitchers? I don't have that that answer because I've never seen the Cardinals over the last <laughs> decade be in this position before. So I, you know, I don't know. You know, a lot of times, you know, we look at the Cardinals as contenders, and then maybe when they don't spend money, it's you know they they are good enough without spending the money. And they seem to always have a winning record and always be in a pennant race and always get the postseason. So, you know, I've never seen him in a position where the team's embarrassing. That's what it is this year. The pitching staff's embarrassing. And so I don't think I don't think the DeWitt family or John Mosellock really have ever been in this position that I can remember, or at least it's been a long, long time. So we'll see, because I don't think there's any question. If you don't do something dramatic, then – you're going to have a tough time because, you know, Milwaukee is going to be primed again next year. They got at least one more year with Corbin Burns in that, that rotation. And the Cincinnati Reds are coming. And if their young starters continue to improve, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. And the Chicago Cubs have improved, and they have an owner that's ready to spend money. So, you know, St. Louis is in a situation that if you don't have an aggressive offseason, then you won't be relevant next year. 
Jim, in terms of aggressiveness, and the answer to this could be both, but do you see a stronger emphasis for this Cardinals team on the rotation side of things or the bullpen? I mean, look, for me, it's the, the rotation. You know, you can't sit there and have a rotation where, you know, Adam Wainwright's got an 870 ERA, Libertor with a 570 ERA, Michaelis is interview, ERA is over four, Matt's is kissing four, you know, Woodford in his starts, he's well over five. Uh, Dakota Hudson, inconsistent, but you know, I think he only made, what, three starts. I think the rest were bullpen. You know, it just hasn't been there. You have to build a rotation if you want to if you want to win. I mean, it's, 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 it's too hard. Not that it can't be done, because certainly Tampa has proven it. You know, San Francisco's doing all these openers and trying to find a way. But, you know, legitimately, you at least need two or three starters at the top of the rotation that you can count on every fifth day. So, Jim, I went through your list, and people can read it over at The Athletic. You have great, not not only the rankings, but the write-ups that are underneath these guys over on The Athletic with your top 30 free agents. I just went through and pulled out all the starters, and I kind of put them into what I would consider to be tiers from your rankings. Uh, tier 1 okay. was Otani, and I'm going to cross him off. I don't think we even need to spend any time here in St. Louis talking about Otani going into the offseason. I had yep. tier two as being like Snell, Urias, and Nola as kind of the legit front end starters that are available on the market. When you think about those three and how they could potentially fit into the Cardinals rotation, who do you think maybe makes the most sense for their philosophy, how they pitch, and what you think those guys are likely to get this offseason? Uh, any of the three. <laughs> you take any <laughs> of the three, honestly. Now, it's tricky. The three names you mentioned are tricky. Nola's not having a good season. Right, um, the CRA is like four and a half. So he's got a great, he's had a great career, but he's also leads the league in home runs right now. I don't know why. Um, he's, he's throwing his fastball a lot less than we've seen before. Throwing his curveball a lot more. I'm sure that's because analytics are telling him to do that. Uh, but I think we have to really watch the next six weeks to see how he finishes the season. Um, Blake Snell is one that you got to jam your brakes on because. You know, he had the Cy Young year with Tampa, and he's having this year in his free agent year, but where was he in between? We've never had consistency, right? So there is risk there. And then Julio Urias, who has pitched great the last couple of times out, but I mean, he's had a subpar year where he just, velocity has been down, the command has been down. So when these guys are right, all three of them, as you mentioned, are top of the rotation starters. The problem is in 2023, they all have pimples. And it's a matter of which ones do you want to pop. <laughs> so the other problem that you have is that you've got a lot of teams right now that need starting pitching that are contenders that need it to go over the top. You have the heavy spending Yankees that have to go get pitching. You've got the Red Sox that has to go get pitching. You've got Tampa that's going to be without McClanahan next year, Rasmussen next year. Uh, they need pitching. Um, and so Baltimore needs pitching, and they got a chance to win the World Series. The Cincinnati Reds need pitching. Arizona needs a pitcher. So there's only so many to go around, and the bidding war, you know, you've got Scott Boris representing a lot of these guys too, which makes it even more difficult. So whatever's out there is going to be painful to do, and they're all going to come with some kind of risk. Jim um, I, I just want to dream and just get all three and put them on the Cardinals and then be the favorites to win. Yeah. Me too, Jim. Yeah, that's that checkbook wonderful. off season right there. In the meantime, I, I don't know how likely, but I do <laughs> like the idea of it. Jim Bowden, by the way, is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Jim, when you look at Snell, Urias, Nola, those three that we were just discussing, are, is 25 to 30 mil per year on like a five to six year deal? Is that kind of the market that we're talking about with those guys? 
Yeah, that's the ballpark you're going to have to live in. Yeah, I know. I know it stinks. And and I'll remind everybody, you know, look at how Strasburg's contract worked out. Look how Carlos Rodon's is working out. You know, I'll, I'll caution people that the risk that comes with these signings is scary. But you have to do it. I mean, you know, unless you have developed them, unless you have them in your system, you're going to have to take you're going to have to take a chance if you want to win. So, That's where the Cardinals are right now. They have put themselves in this spot where there's no one to point to. You know, the days of Wainwright are over. The days of Carpenter are over. The days of Flaherty are over. You don't have that anymore. You have to have that. So speaking of risk, Jim, every time we bring up either Nola or Snell's name, the text line we have goes crazy and says, you don't get any of them. Go after Yamamoto. Thoughts on this type of pitcher if the Cardinals go that direction? He's a solid three-starter. I, I, I got to see him in the World Baseball Classic. And I really liked him because he's got touch and feel. He's got poise. He pitches north to south and east to west. He adds. He subtracts. He gets you a chase. He brings it back on the black. He takes it outside of the black to get you to chase. He'll throw breaking ball to start you out, or he'll throw it to finish you. He knows what he's doing. But he's a three. He's not a one. He's a solid three that's going to give you innings. Um, and I like him. I like him a lot. He's not going to start game one of the World Series for me. He's going to start game three. So that's that's kind of how I see Yamamoto. So I'm okay if you want to go get Nola in Yamamoto or Urias in Yamamoto or Snell in Yamamoto. Now I'm feeling better. Jim, just kind of as a follow-up with this, because you said like it's scary to go after those those big fish in free agency and pay 25 to 30 mil, especially when you look at how, how the past has gone. What scenario would be scarier for you, though? Spending that money and going after one of those pitchers this offseason or shying away from that if you're the Cardinals and saying, let's shop on the next market down like they've done in the past? Look, I'm not afraid to go on the next market down if you're going to get multiple guys. I mean, if you're going to get Yamamoto and Stroman, Yamamoto and, and Sonny Gray, Yamamoto and Eduardo Rodriguez, I mean, I'm okay going that way and then take take one of your young outfielders and trade them to the Marlins for one of their young starters and go about it that way. That's fine. Um, you know, I thought one of the things that, that the Cardinals were going to do at the trade deadline was was shop Goldie. Either extend them two years. If you're not going to be able to do that, can you get a? Could, could you get a young starter? Could you get a Lazardo or a Cabrera, as example, from Miami and try to add a starter that way? Bottom line is you got to rebuild the rotation, or you're not going to have a chance. I mean, Cincinnati's going to have Hunter Green. They're going to have Andrew Abbott and Nick Lodolo. They're going to have three pretty good starters. Milwaukee's going to walk out there next year with Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. And what are the Cardinals running out there? I, I guess Michaelis. Mats. I mean, what, what, what are you running out there? Matthew Libertor. Yeah, it's Michaelis, Mats, and Libby is what they're kind of looking at right now. And it, they, they know they, know they have to go out enough. there and do something, that, for sure. But that, but that's fine, three, four, five. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, you got to take your payroll and you got to put it into two starters. You know, start with Nola Urias and then run out the three you just said, and I'm fine. And, your offense is top top third in baseball. If you put your guys in the right position and play the right guys, your defense is going to be good enough. And, and then now all of a sudden you're in the hunt. You're not going to be the favorites, but you're in the hunt. And now you're looking at that tier three. Like I've, I had Otani, and then I've got Snell, Urias, and Nola. And then with Yamamoto, you got like Sonny Gray, Stroman, Flaherty, Rodriguez, Montgomery, and Giolito. And, and Jim, I, I just kind of crossed off Flaherty and Montgomery. I don't think that the Cardinals are bringing either of those guys back. I, I don't right. think they're going to be signing Marcus Stroman. Last time he was a free agent, I, I had heard it 
very unlikely that they're going to be a team that signs him. I would say the same thing is likely true of Rodriguez. So really, it kind of whittles you down to Gray versus Giolito in that next tier of free agent. If you're kind of comparing those two guys and what they can bring to a rotation, who would you prefer to have on your team between Sonny Gray and Lucas Giolito? Oh, Sonny Gray, for sure, for me, yeah. I mean, I love his secondary pitches, the curveball, you know, the sweeper that he's come up with, the sinker, the cutter, the change, it's effective. Um, you know, when he gets locked in, he's really, really good. I, so, yeah, for me, that that one is really easy. Giolito is, is interesting, um, but he's so inconsistent. Like, he shows us flashes that he can be a top-of-the-rotation starter, and then he doesn't. And he never seems to do well, like, the first time he goes somewhere. Like, I wasn't surprised he went to the Angels and got hit. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, he, uh, by the way, he's a great baker. He bakes great cupcakes. Um, brownies, oh. seriously. Oh, yeah, he's a, he's a serious baker and a really nice guy. And I really like him. That's uh, a cardinal right there. Yeah, I was going to say, you just basically signed his contract. Right now. <laughs> Sonny Gray is a little more of a competitor. Having a really good year, so I'm 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 going to go Sunny Gray over G Lou. But honestly, where you guys are, I'll take them both. Sure, very true, Jim. I need and you. That's to... the point. That's the point. Is you, you don't. It's not like you need one. You need two, and then you need a young guy to emerge. You need hence to come out of nowhere and be a guy. Jim, I need you to help me with this fantasy world I'm living in with Logan Gilbert. Either tell me it's a reality or help me get over it like a badass. You're not getting him. Okay. Jim, I tried to tell him. I listened to your show on Sunday mornings. You're I heard their general him. manager come on and say, hey, we're not trading yeah. our young starters, and he won't listen he's to not. me. No, he's not. I've talked to Jerry Depoto several times on this issue. Uh, you know, At one point, I tried to get him to do Bryce Miller for Jonathan India. That was before he had the plantar fasciitis. But it's not, it's not happening. And and I, I think it's a smart play not to trade those guys. I wouldn't trade any of them if I were him because he's six deep. So all he's got to do is build an offense, and he's a post, he may be a postseason team this year because of them. But there's no way you're getting Kirby or Gilbert or Castillo or Bryce Miller or Wu. All those guys have just nasty stuff, and that's going to allow him to compete for the next several years. And by the way, I think they're the front runners to get Otani. So you're going to put Otani in that rotation with those young kids and put him in the lineup. That's a thing. Now, that being said, if they do get Otani, that may allow them to trade one of those guys, either Miller or Wu, at the back end, and that might be something that makes sense for St. Louis for one of the outfielders. But you're not getting Gilbert or Kirby. Good. I'll delete the, I'll delete the number then, Jim. I'm done with her. <laughs> there we go. We, okay. fi- we finally got Thank him you. off of Thank that you, one. Jim. It was a toxic relationship. Jim, we'll get, get you out of here on this. Uh, final question. We appreciate the time, as always. Jim Bowden, our guest sure. here on 101 ESPN. Nolan Gorman is a name that gets brought up, as you can imagine, quite a bit here in St. Louis. He's been having a tremendous season, 23 years old, on pace to hit 30, 35 home runs this season. He's also going to be somebody that generates a lot of trade interest in the offseason if the Cardinals were to make him available. If you were in John Mosellock's shoes, and that was a piece that teams were calling you about in order to get that starting pitching that you're craving, would you consider trading Gorman, or would you would you say that is a guy that we're not shopping because of the profile that he brings? I will listen on everybody, right? That's what I have to do. And you can't have untouchables when you're in that job. So, you, you know, what starter can I get for him? Right. I mean, if I could get your Logan Gilbert, Gorman's gone. What time's the press conference? Can I get Kirby for him straight up? What time's the press conference? You got to tell me what the return is going to be. What if it's like uh, the like, Brian I, Wu, Bryce Miller level? 
No, I, I mean, I like Gorman. I think he's a 40 home run bat. When, he's, when he gets to his prime years at age 25, I think you're going to get 40 bombs from him. And I like having that. I mean, are you going to extend Goldie or do you have Goldie just one more year? If I know this team at all, I think they're extending him. Okay. I mean, because that that also plays into it as well. Um, I mean, look, I prefer to keep um, Walker still my favorite player there. I know he hasn't lived up to what he's going to do because he's going to do it next year instead. But he's going nowhere. I don't want to trade Gorman if I can keep him. And by the way, I don't don't even want to trade Carlson unless I have to. And I'm afraid they're going to trade him. And it's going to be like Arizona and Adolis Garcia. It's going to come back and haunt you. But I think they're going to trade him for pitching in this offseason. And I think that'll be a mistake because I like Carlson. But you got to play him every day. You have to have confidence to play him every day, which obviously doesn't exist. And he hasn't put up numbers, which I get. But the talent is still there with Dylan Carlson. It's always a pleasure to be able to catch up with you. I'm sure we'll do our typical off-season preview as we get closer and closer to the end of the year as well. Thanks so much for the time today, man, and we'll be talking with you again soon. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. It. You got it. That's Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager. You can hear him on MLB Network Radio Sundays at 9 o'clock on Front Office with Jim Duquette, baseball writer for The Athletic as well. We always appreciate him hopping on the show. All right, a lot to get into uh, from our conversation with Jim Bowden. I thought the biggest thing that he said there, Alex, the single biggest quote, if you will, was him saying the Cardinals have never been in this position before. They've never been embarrassed That was the word that he used to discuss what this season has been for the Cardinals so far. And I think that is the perfect way just in one sentence to encapsulate where we're at right now. I see a lot on our text line. Guys, the Cardinals aren't going to do anything. They're going to do the same thing they've always done. And I think if the Cardinals finished the season around 500, they were like an 80 and 82 team. There's a case to be made that that very well may end up happening. But I've never seen them react to an embarrassing season where you have teams going on M or people going on MLB Network and ESPN and all these different places. You've got writers over in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You've got Bernie, like got everybody talking about this. The Cardinals are bad, not just from our own standards relative to the rest of Major League Baseball. One of the five worst teams in the league. How does this ownership group react to that? That is what I think is the single most important thing Jim Bowden said. And I think it's the single most important question for the Cardinals to answer this offseason. How do you react when you were embarrassed? Because we haven't seen that in at least 15 years. And really, we're probably talking closer to 25, which means we've never seen it in the Bill DeWitt ownership era. Yeah. And this is the biggest question that I have for him, too, because in the past, they haven't been embarrassed. But when have the Cardinals ever been dictated to do something from outside noise, whether it's what other teams do around them or what other people are saying about them? Cardinals stand pat. They go their own way. They don't care. But now that you're getting the bad rapport, how do you adjust to it? And the other thing that I thought Jim nailed was what we've talked a lot about. If you're going to go to the market, don't get one, get two. And yep. he said, don't care if you're going in the third tier, fourth tier, get two. He said, start at Snell, start at Urias, start at Nola, and then make your way down. But if you're not bringing in two of somebody from tiers one and two, then you failed in the offseason. Totally agree with you. And this is something that I wanted to get to on the other side. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tina Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. There is something that could come into play with these Cardinals pitchers that we aren't talking a whole lot about. Buster only mentioned it over the weekend. We'll tell you what that is next here on 101 ESPN.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I got a text message from one Scott Boris, super agent, who, as you know, never believes that uh, the spending is going to be rolled back. But I know a lot of his peers are sort of bracing themselves for a different perspective. And I think this, Carl, potentially can manifest, especially with the pitchers, because we've seen so many injuries and so many pitching contracts lately that have not worked out. And I must say, I've never heard of a team uh, that has said, yeah, we expect a transition year and the player might struggle. No, teams, when they sign these Whopper deals, they want big-time production right out of the gate with the assumption that later in the contract, you may uh, may see less. That was Buster only on the Baseball Tonight podcast over the weekend talking about what he's heard from some agents, which is that they're a little worried coming off of the free agent class that included the likes of Jacob deGrom, Carlos Rodon, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, all of whom ended up struggling early on in their respective tenures with their new teams, and many of whom are still hurt or not performing up to expectations this year. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, I think we hear this every offseason. Oh, this is going to be the year that the free agents don't make as much as they did previously. And every offseason, it typically ends up being, no, they got paid pretty much every bit as much as we all expected them to. Even for the shortstop class last year. Whoa, these guys, maybe some of them are going to have to take a little bit less. No, they they all got their money. They found a way to be able to get it. Going into this offseason, the saturated quote-unquote market is the starting pitching market. You got Otani, Snell, Urias, Nola, um, Yamamoto, Gray, Giolito. Those are a bunch of studs at the top end of the starting pitching market. So is there going to be some cause for concern after last year's free agents ended up struggling this year? Sure. I think my bigger concern for the Cardinals would be, what does that transition look like? It's not so much about whether or not that's going to get these guys paid, but what does it look like when they get into year one here in St. Louis? We saw with Nolan Arenado, year one, that was the worst year we've seen so far in St. Louis. Same thing was true for Paul Goldschmidt as well. We saw early on this year, there was quite the adjustment period for a guy like Wilson Contreras, who was right up at or near the top of the market last year in the free agent class. That is something the Cardinals are going to have to figure out, which is how do we get these guys to adjust immediately? Because you have zero margin for error with any of these starting pitchers that you bring in on a big-time deal. You got to make sure they're ready to go and hit the ground running in a way that Steven Matz, for example, did not last year. I, For me, one, that's on the coaching staff. And if Dusty Blake and company are as successful as we've seen them do with certain pitchers this season, then I have no doubt that they can bring these guys in and get them acclimated quickly. But I have criteria if you're going to go onto the free agent market to do this one, I'm not going to get a guy who has an injury past because if he's got an injury past, then we're probably talking about that 
surface or surfacing at some point. That's why Aaron Nola is so interesting to, to me. Say, then your list is literally one free agent. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I mean, they're in the third tier in the fourth. Like Sonny Gray's not a guy who typically gets injured that often. He has an injury history, but uh, but fair. I guess it depends on when. Because like Carlos Rodon, you were rolling the dice on that because the previous year was the first time he had been healthy in a couple of years. Jack Flaherty would be rolling the dice for somebody because sure. it's been recent. If we're talking about five years from now or five years ago, they were injured. That's different for me. The second thing for me in terms of what I'm going to go into the market as is I'm not going to go after somebody who's a project for me. I'm going after somebody who knows who he is going into the upcoming season, knows his pitching well, knows what works well and what doesn't work well, because if you're going to go after somebody, and I believe this was Ben Fred that had this in the post-dispatch over the weekend, you can't go after something that you look at and say, well, we can fix that. Uh, And you're going to have that with everybody, but it depends on what you're trying to fix. If you're getting a guy who's a pitch to contact somebody and you're thinking you can make him a strikeout guy, that's not going to work. If you're getting somebody who doesn't utilize one pitch well more than the others, and you believe that that's going to work, that's a project you can handle. So if you're going to go after somebody, those are the two areas I would say put a check mark next to, because if they match both of those items, then I think you can have success, even with that transition, because I'm anticipating whoever you sign to have a transition period. Yeah, then your list looks like Nola, Yamamoto, Gray, and you could maybe argue Giolito. That, that's probably what your list yeah. would look Giolito's like. Giolito's not really been hurt. He's pitched like 30 starts in the yeah. last like five yeah. years, so that probably is the, your the list. The thing that I would be questioning on Giolito is like, does he know who he is at this point? Yeah. I, that that I'm not totally sure about, mm-hmm. and that was your second criteria. Uh, those other guys all know who they are, and they have a recent history of not not missing a bunch of starts. Yeah. Like Sonny Gray last year only, I think, made like 25 starts. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's kind of what you expect That's, from most of yeah. your mid-tier starting rotation. And what I mean now. by injuries, I'm talking like you only like 10 to 12 games you start and then you're out for a majority and of it. He hasn't done that since his first year yeah. in the big league. So he's made at least 20 starts every other full season of his major league career. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually not that worried about that adjustment period that we're talking about because I think that typically occurs for hitters because we talk about ballpark factors all the time and you can go see the ballpark factors on Baseball Savant. And I think that typically affects hitters because they have to adjust to the ballpark that they are hitting in. I don't think that impacts pitchers much because you're still doing the same thing. You're still throwing, unless you're coming from Colorado where you're adjusting from thin air. Or going from St. Louis to like Cincinnati. Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I don't think that's going to affect pitchers here in St. Louis. Like Noah, for example. Philadelphia, a very hitter-friendly ballpark. You bring them here, those home run numbers are going to come down. Now, they're not going to come down from like where it's at leading the league to like being the best in the league. No, but it would come down somewhat. And I, I think like Mats was the guy that you threw out there as like there was the adjustment period for Mats. I, I think Mats is one of those guys that we've seen the highs of highs and we've seen the lows of lows. Like that outcome with the way he started the year, not just this year, but last last year as well, has always been a potential outcome for Steven Matz. He's just an inconsistent number 3-4 starter for any team, so it's possible he opens a season for like that. The one other thing, though, that can cause that kind of adjustment period that you're talking about, and we don't discuss it a whole lot now, but we did early in the season, that's catching situation. If you end up coming to a spot where you're not comfortable, not confident in the guy that you're throwing to, that could be a serious adjustment. I mean, we saw it this year, right? It was the opposite portion of it where the Cardinals pitchers were all the same as they had been previously, but the catcher gets flipped into something new. Well, what does that look like next year when you've got a new pitcher that's coming in with the current catcher that is here in St. Louis? We don't know. With Yachty, we would have said that's exciting because we get to see what Yachty's going to do with some of these new pitchers that are coming into to his or right? 
next year we don't we don't know what that looks like with Wilson Contreras as the guy that's going and, to be handling this. And that's why staff. the Cardinals need to decide who the catcher is next year. And they yep. need to decide before you go into the offseason because you need to be able to tell the pitcher that you're trying to sign or pitchers, hey, Wilson Contreras is our catcher, but we're going to be looking at a 50-50 split. So you're going to be working with Contreras, but you're also going to be working with Andrew Kisner. So this gets to the final thing that I wanted to get to, which is something that Randy said earlier today on the morning show. And I do, to a degree, understand where Randy's coming from on this. He is very much not in on the idea of signing Sonny Gray. And if that means, hey, aim higher. Sonny Gray is my threshold of if you get here or lower, I am not confident in what this offseason has been. Okay, I could totally understand that. Where I do think we agree, we disagree slightly on this, though, no surprise, is the quality of pitcher that Sonny Gray is. Here's what Randy had to say earlier today on the morning show. After Otani, it's him mm-hmm. and Snell, and then kind of a fall off to Marcus Stroman. Sonny Gray. If he, uh, Sonny Gray. <laughs> I'm still not sold on the Sonny Gray. Here's the thing about Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is great if two two things are in play. Number one, if your team sucks and you have no expectations of winning. Well, then and Randy. And number two, if you play a five month season. Oh, okay. But you get you get you get to September and you get to the playoffs, and Sonny Gray is not going to be there for you. So if that's what you're into, if he's fine for the the Twins because the Twins haven't won a playoff game since 2004, he'll be right. He'll be perfect in their rotation. He's 33 years old. He's fine with the Reds. What happened when he went to the Yankees? He was fine with the A's, where there were no expectations and no fans in the stands. What happens? So what happens? Come on, man. Here's where I'm going to go ahead and disagree slightly with, with what Randy said there. He basically said he's fine with every team he's played for except for the one. Except for the New York Yankees. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it went well for him in New York. He's talked about this publicly. The Yankees have admitted pu- it went horribly awry for him in New York. And you know what that amounted to? 130 innings with a 4.9 ERA. That is the singular worst season of his major league career. Went terribly awry, 4.9 ERA. That's the worst season since he became a consistent major league starter. But Alex, since then, you can go all the way back to the 2019 season. The guy has a 3.3 ERA. If you thought that Jordan Montgomery was good, imagine that, but like quite a bit better and with better swing and miss stuff. That's who Sonny Gray has been for the entirety of his career. Now, he's a small guy. He's a wee little lad. He's 5'10", a buck 95, and he's 33 years old. He'll be 34 next year. There is real risk with signing a guy like Sonny Gray. But if your concern is, but this guy hasn't done it in the postseason, well, that's because he's been playing on a bunch of teams that aren't all that good, honestly. But he hasn't had opportunities in the playoffs. He has a 2.95 ERA when he has pitched in say, the postseason. He's done 13 innings in 2013, and he had 12 strikeouts and a 2.08 ERA. Yeah. He had one bad year in the postseason. It's not that he's incapable of throwing when he gets there. I mean, here's his starts. Eight innings, zero earned runs. Five innings, three earned runs. Three and a third three earned runs that's not a great start there he did that in new york against cleveland it didn't go well for him but then the next one five innings one earned run he's been really good in the postseason when he's gotten the opportunities they're just few and far between it's not his fault he's been playing for crap teams he he did it in cincinnati nobody pitches well in cincinnati he did Send him to Colorado, and then let's then sure. let's have a conversation. I think Cincinnati's actually the toughest park to pitch in in baseball. <laughs> well, especially for yeah, I mean when you look at the size of the ballpark and the amount of home runs. Here's my thing with Sonny Gray: I mean, it's the guy you- has a better ERA since 2019 than Carlos Rodon, Luis Castillo, Framber Valdez, Logan Webb. Like 
These are guys that we would be thrilled if they were at the front end of the Cardinals rotation. You he s- has the same ERA in that stretch, sorry, as Zach Wheeler. In hey man, every single one of us hey man, would sign We up got the that. point. You like him like you liked Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson? No. no. Very different players. I mean, he would have been great on the, the Cardinals. Gibson? I don't remember the Gibson. Kyle. Kyle Gibson. I knew it was a K. We get it, man. He's having a good year, too. By what way. you said at the beginning is where I think a lot of people are at on Sonny Gray. He can't be your star signing totally in the offseason. Absolutely. If he is the number two that you sign, great. Because I, I, I'm skeptical of Sonny Gray. But I'm not blind to the fact that Sonny Gray has incredible numbers and is consistent. But I'm Sonny, skeptical to Sonny Gray as a number one. Totally. Yes, I'm, I'm even, not skeptical at all of him as a mid-rotation starter. I, I'm skeptical of him being a number two upside. But uh, my my hope is that if you're bringing him in, you're going to have a... A duo of Michaelis and Sonny Gray as number twos, number threes. He's much better than Michaelis. But the number one that you're signing needs to be that star-studded signing. And, and now that I have heard Jim say this, and I've read it a couple of places also, like Yamamoto maybe at best is a number three. The hope is he could get to a number two. So if you do a Yamamoto and a Sonny Gray, I think there's still a lot of hope there, which is me. You're going to have to shop a number two, tier two, if you want to get Sonny Gray. So the thing that people are going to hate about Sonny Gray... I, I can already hear it coming. Is it because he's a good guy? No, he he like goes it. like five innings, five or six innings. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that's where people are going to get super frustrated, but that's where your Aaron Nola comes in. That's where your Miles Michaelis comes in. you got to have two guys that eat innings in this rotation that are consistently going to go six-plus. Sonny Gray's not that guy. He's never going to be that pitcher, and you just got to be okay with that. He's like lesser version of Blake Snell. If Blake Snell is the top of the market in this brand of pitcher – Sonny Gray is number two in that lane, and you got to be okay with that if you go out there and sign it. He's going to be really good when he's out there, but he's going to give you five to six innings. Coming up next, 314-399-9646. I know T-Bone wants to add one thing to this. We'll get into that coming up next for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. along from Jeff Pass and the Tampa Bay Rays have placed shortstop Wander Franco on the restricted list. Now, if you're not familiar with this, it basically means he is no longer a part of their roster. And according to Jeff Passan, it likely means that he is going to be unpaid. That is according to an MLB official. The league has officially launched an investigation into a social media post that alleged that Wander Franco had a relationship with with a 14-year-old girl. This came out yesterday on social media. So um, I'm going to just put that out there. I don't want to make a single comment about it because we don't know what's going to come out of this. But if true, I don't know what the future will hold for Wander Franco in Major League Baseball. So uh, that is the latest news on that. Wander Franco officially placed on the restricted list by the Tampa Bay Rays. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of these really quickly, but first, T-Bone, I know you had one other thing that you wanted to say about the Sonny Gray conversation we were having on the other side. Yeah, look, you guys are right. Sonny Gray, number two guy that you probably target in the offseason looking to upgrade over him, but to the point of, like, Sonny Gray and the ERA and not being a guy that can compete, Michaelis, look at him. Guy that has an ERA that's in the low threes, then bounces to the fours. Low threes, bounces to the fours. Why is that, you say? Why well, is that? Well, look at the baseball savant page and look at stuff. That's what we're always talking about for guys with swing and miss. Michaelis 
his stuff in velo, movement on pitches, who he comps to. Colin Ray, Mike Myers, the Cardinal killer. Lance Lynn, Tyler Chatwood, Paul Blackburn. Those are all like number threes, maybe less than that. Myers case, not even a major leaguer. That's who Michael's stuff comps to. And he's a really good number three. Sonny Gray, not an elite level pitcher, but his stuff comes to Joe Musgrove, Merrill Kelly, Strasburg, and Spencer Turnbull. So there are like legitimate Strasburg. Well, the one that was hurt. But there are guys there who wouldn't want a Joe Musgrove. Who wouldn't want a Merrill Kelly? Take that in a second. I would too. And his stuff comes to that. And and his ERA is similar. I I think Sonny Gray is what a Merrill Kelly could be. Merrill Kelly's not an ace for the Diamondbacks. That's Zach Gallon's role. But he's a perfect number two for that rotation. The other thing with Sonny Gray is how many years you're giving him. Yeah, three. I'm worried they're going to have to give him four. I think you go three. You could go three at like 20 mil a year. I think you can get Sonny Gray on that. But that's the outbidding conversation. And the Ricardo's going to have to outbid somebody. And to outbid, you're either giving more money or more years. Yeah. I think 20 mil is probably an overpay, quote unquote, for Sonny yep. Gray. I think he's an 18, 17 to $18 million pitcher. Yeah. You give him 20, give him three years, you get him through his age 36 season. You don't love it. You'd prefer not to have to do that. You'd rather have him on a one-year deal at $25 million, but that's unlikely to happen. So uh, it ends up being probably worth it in my mind. All right, a couple of quick hitters here from the 636. Guys, how big do you think the Williams-Winary commitment could be today for Mizzou? Five-star kid out of Kansas City. He's committing this afternoon. The expectation is that he's going to commit to Mizzou. Is this a seven-foot-two kid? No, this is a football player. Oh, defensive okay. end out of the Lee Summit area. This would be well, the second biggest commitment in terms of pedigree of player in the history of Mizzou football recruiting since they've been tracking these things. So in 20 years, second biggest commitment behind only Doriel Green Beckham. It's that big. It is massive, huge, can't overstate it. Um, It's a good day to be a Tiger. I remember the DGB commitment because I was at Linwood at the time. Man, I got way too excited for that. So I hope this turns out better than that one did. Uh, From the 314, guys, if you had to bring one back, would you rather bring back Montgomery or Flaherty in the offseason? Montgomery. Same. I think Montgomery, too. The guy that's been consistent, you hit the nail on the head. Flaherty's one of those guys that has the injury history to where you don't really know what you're getting from him. He could be hurt again next year if you sign him. And final thing here, guys, how do you feel about uh, Justin Fields going into this season? He was really good over the weekend for the Bears in the preseason. Do you think he's going to take a step for the Bears this season? I do because they got they got like actual weapons for him with DJ Moore. I think he's going to be one of those players that everybody expects a drop back but instead i think he continues to ascend dj moore had a big play over the weekend if you get some of those guys that can have like after catch ability and dj moore is one of those players that's the best case scenario with justin field so i think he's going to take a step forward even if like the pass is the same as last year the weapons are just so much better around him coming up next katie Wu, the cardinals insider for the athletic here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Right now, we're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend and the Cardinals insider for the Athletics. She's Katie Wu joining us here on the show, coming back home after a weekend in Kansas City. Katie, how you doing today? I am well, guys. Excited for a seven-game homestand. And if I am looking at everything correctly, this might be the first homestand in a while where the Cardinals will play 
the last place Cardinals, I should say, will play the team that's in the last place in the AL West and NL East in the same homestand. It has been a wild season. Say it, Katie. It's the battle for hashtag burn it for burns. If I I'm told not you, doing that. Come on, Katie. <laughs> if I told you guys before the season that the Cardinals would have a seven-game homestand with the A's, the Mets, and obviously the Cardinals are participating, how would you rank those coming into the season in terms of likelihood of being in last place, as all of them are right now? Well, Oakland would have Oakland's been number one. Number one. Yeah. Which one's more yeah, surprising? <laughs> which one's more surprising to you, though, Katie? That the Mets are in last in their division, or that the Cardinals are in last in the NL Central? Wow, that's a great question. I really, I don't know. I remember in uh, early July, I wrote a story about the Cardinals, Mets, and Padres. And shout out to my editor, Dan Brown, who wrote probably the best headline ever. He called it the boys of bummer. And we were debating with the Padres beat writer and the Mets beat writer on who had the or the most disappointing season so far. And I'm still not sure which of the three teams have had the most disappointing season so far. Um, I would say maybe the Mets just because of their gigantic payroll. Sure. Um, but it's also, I can't remember the last time ever the Cardinals had been in last place for this long. So Katie, speaking of disappointment, man, you could hear it in Wayno's voice after that start against the Royals. Where do you think this goes for the rest of the season? Yeah, that was really tough. Um, and I think it's just been really tough to watch all year because when you think of Adam Wainwright, you think about everything good that is in the Cardinals organization. I think he truly embodies every good thing about St. Louis, about the franchise, about being a good teammate, about baseball. And you feel for him as a person because when you see a franchise legend go out like this, it doesn't make you feel good, especially someone like Adam who has done so, so much, not just for this team, but for the city. But I do think the Cardinals have a decision to make on what they're doing going forward. Now, there's a couple of things to keep in mind, whether they keep Adam in the rotation, whether they give him a break, whatever they decide to do. The Cardinals are all but mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. And as hard as that is for a lot of players to accept, and there's plenty of players that are not approaching it this way as they should, it's not like the Cardinals are losing valuable games in the standings right now. They also don't really have anyone in AAA banging on the door from a pitching perspective that is warranting a rotation shot. I mean, you can make the argument that Zach Thompson could get some looks here, and I would tend to agree with you, but that's really the only guy and, of course, when you're so close to 200 wins, which is such a coveted milestone in, in baseball, you want to give someone a, the, the most chances to reach that milestone, especially someone like Adam. But you also have a message to send to your team. And if the message you're sending every five days is, well, hopefully he figures it out, I'm not sure if that's the right message you send. I thought Ollie Marmel was really candid Friday night saying, you know, we haven't made these decisions yet. We have to have conversations. These conversations with Adam will also probably include the coaching staff and John Mozeliak, but I'm not sure if the Cardinals have made a full decision, and I'm not sure if there is a right or wrong answer here. I like that they're going to give him one more opportunity, Katie, especially at home. If this was on the road, maybe there would be some different calculus that would go into it, but with the home crowd behind him, giving him an opportunity to go out there uh, at, at least one more time, I I like that. I think it was the right call for this one. After that, though, I think it gets really tough. I mean, we're we're witnessing right now. I looked it up last night. He has the third worst ERA of any major league starter in the history of the game to make at least 15 starts in a season. It's one of the worst seasons ever for a major league starting pitcher. 
And you know as well as anybody how Ollie approaches this stuff. He's going to take Jordan Walker out late in games because he wants to give his team the best opportunity to win. He's going to go out there, and fans might not believe it, but he's genuinely managing these games because he wants to continue to develop what he calls winning players. I don't know how you can make that case of you're trying to manage to win if we see another opportunity for Wayno on Thursday, another start for him, similar to what we've seen basically since he's returned from the injured list. That's just, it's a really hard case to make at that point. I agree. And I think everything about it is difficult. I'll tell you something that really stood out to me Friday after Wainwright was pulled. He's trudging through the dugout and he goes up on the rails between Turner Ward and Paul Goldschmidt and he taps Goldschmidt on the shoulder and he says, sorry about it. And you could just see that, that guilt and that frustration wearing on Wainwright because you're completely right. I know the standings and the win-loss record are what they are, but this is a Cardinals team and a Cardinals coaching staff that really is trying to do everything that they can to still win. There is no tanking for the draft pick, which I see a lot of fans uh, really into. Um, I'm not quite sure. I already forgot the hashtag. I'm sorry. You Burn guys. it for birds, Katie. Uh, sorry. Burn it, it into your brain. <laughs> But I, I do think that's a really valid point because I, uh, these guys here on the Cardinals, I know the record, again, is what it is, but they are competitive. You want to tell me that Nolan Arnato, that Paul Goldschmidt, that Wilson Contreras are okay going out there and losing in the fashion they have this season? They're not. Ollie Marmel is actively trying to win as many games as possible. There is a lot of pride to play for in St. Louis, and Adam Wainwright knows that better than anyone on this roster. And I do agree that he... Deserves at least one more try, especially at home, to figure this out. But I also, again, completely understand where the organization is coming from when they say we don't know what to do next and we're still having this conversation. Katie, there's a, there's a healthy mix, though, of trying to win and then, of course, looking towards the future and looking towards the future in terms of figuring out how guys fit into 2024. Uh, now that Dylan Carlson is going to be on the IL for a little bit, are, are there certain guys that you would say, let's see what they've got in terms of position players as everyday guys? Yeah, well, it's really unfortunate season for Dylan Carlson, just really frustrating in terms of consistency, both playing time and health. But aside from that, I feel like when we look at the outfield, part of the reason the Cardinals decided to recall Luke and Baker instead of an outfielder in AAA was because they wanted to see how the trio of Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, and Jordan Walker worked on an everyday basis by bringing in another outfielder that would still complicate the matters. So if there was one silver lining, obviously Dylan Carlson probably would fit that narrative and who can be an everyday player going forward. But with Carlson out, the silver lining for the organization is they can run out this outfield every day and see what they have. Maybe Burleson gets a little bit more time out there, but let's be honest, for as commendable as Burleson has been this season, outfield probably isn't his where they want where the Cardinals want him playing every day. So those three, I think, especially Tyler O'Neill uh, incorporating his three to four games on, one game off rest day and staying healthy, I think that'll be super pivotal towards the end of or for the rest of the season. Um, and for Luke and Baker, I know he's probably not going to get a lot of playing time, but in the opportunities that he does see, it'd be nice to see what he can do as a bat first kind of player there. But I think right now when you're looking at this team and what you can establish going forward on the position playing side, it's seeing what that everyday outfield and O'Neill, Newbar and Walker looks like. And again, it's about the progression that Jordan Walker can make in right field for the next six weeks of the season. On that line of thinking, Katie, uh, Mason Wynn, he, he cannot come up until, well, let me put this a different way. In order to preserve his rookie eligibility for next season, he would have to take fewer than 130 at-bats 
or have fewer than 45 total days on the major league roster this season, which essentially means this weekend he could potentially come up and probably preserve that for the 2024 season. I ask that because maybe a week from now we're having a conversation about Mason Wynn making a debut or coming up to the big league soon. If and when that happens, Katie, what do you think the role looks like for Tommy Edmond, who's been swinging a pretty good bat lately? Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack with the Mason Wynn situation. And up until a couple couple weeks ago, I would agree that this Mets series kind of highlighted the Mason Wynn unofficial countdown. But he's still nursing back from that mild glute strain that he had a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think with Tommy Edmond playing such a good shortstop and being kind of just this all-around player from the from both sides of the bat, there's some time to decide what to do with Mason Wynn. And I'm not sure if we see him exactly at that countdown or if he's more of a mid-September call-up. I think the nature of the roster and the position, the production of the position players will tell us. But I still think even though from a number standpoint, from a calendar standpoint, Mason Wood could come up in the next week or so and be fine in terms of rookie eligibility, the Cardinals might wait to push him out. I'm still in the camp that Mason Wynn should debut this year. But I think this might be more of a September call-up more than a late August. Okay, with it being September, Katie. BK is flabbergasted, Katie. (laughs) Please don't make this a mid-September thing. Well, that's a different conversation for a different day. But um, I I hope that's like two weeks from now as opposed to a month from now. That would would be the preference here. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely fair. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Hope you enjoyed yourself out in Kansas City this week. And enjoy the homestand this week. And we'll talk with you again next week. You got it, guys. Talk soon. That is Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She joins us each and every Monday here on BK and Ferrario. You can follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. We'll give them a two-week grace period. To be able we to are. call up I was say Mason two week. Wood. I gave them five days. That's the grace period they've got. At the moment that calendar says, hey, now that he's up, he won't this lose time his next rookie. week, it's basically that. Yeah, then that's when he should be up. Because at this time next week, he'll have 30 games left. The likelihood of him getting more than 150 at-bats in those 30 games, pretty slim. Um, Soon as that date hits, every day I'm going to remind everybody that Jose Fermin is still on this roster. Or Mater. Or Mater. Well, Mater's at least playing. Fair. It is really hard for me to come up with a scenario where it makes sense to not call up Mason Wynn at that He's point. He's got to get more reps in the minors. They have to see yeah. consistency. If you want to, in all seriousness, if you want to use the, the rookie eligibility thing for next year as the explanation, not even excuse, explanation for why he's not up right now, I totally get it. Business-wise, it's smart, both for the team and for the player. So I, I think it's a smart way to go about it. After that, if he's fully healthy, which... This weekend, he came back down in the minors and appeared, based on all reports, to be fine. Glutes feeling better. If he continues to do that, the rest of this week still looks good. Is swinging a good bat. Looks like the same player that he was prior to that that injury slash being hurt for a little bit. I don't know if it's really an injury, so to speak. Just they wanted to be precautious with it. He he should be up within the next ten days. I would say because it's not like you're pulling somebody off the roster that. You're super worried about sending down either for mean or moder. Both of those guys like, hey, man, God bless him for getting up to the big leagues and, and making a career out of this thing. But 
they're not holding you back from bringing up Mason Wynn. Yeah, and you're hurting yourself by not getting more playing time at the major league level for Mason Wynn because I I, I truly believe you need to get some reps in, in more than just a week or two for Mason Wynn so that he can feel a little bit more comfortable and you can feel comfortable about him being your starting shortstop next year. Yeah, he needs to see what adjustment baseball makes to him when he gets up here. Yeah. Because if you just call him up mid-September, he could have a two-week hot, hot streak and go into the offseason going, man, I got this figured out and not know what adjustment baseball makes to him because they'll make that adjustment in the offseason and he won't find out till opening day. I want him to come up here because he's either going to struggle right off the bat or he's going to hit well. And if he hits well two weeks' time, baseball's going to adjust to him and he'll know what adjustments he needs to make going into the offseason. I feel like a lot of the conversations about the Cardinals are kind of a bummer right now, right? They, they bring you down. I want to have an upper a good conversation about the Cardinals coming up Is next. Dylan Carlson involved with it? No, he is not. Wilson Contreras' bat is playing its way into the Cardinals' future, and is the gap between the Cardinals and the Braves maybe a little smaller than you'd expect from a last-place team and the best team in all of baseball? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This one's hit high in the air by Contreras to deep left. Have yourself a night, Wilson Contreras. That one into the fountains or above them. Wow, a mammoth home run, a five RBI night. Wilson Contreras is swinging a hot bat right now alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Since June 1st, he's batting 320. He has an OPS approaching 1,000 in that stretch. Guys, this is basically dating back to him being a catcher for the Cardinals again. He looks like the players, the, uh, the player the Cardinals signed him to be. His stats this year are almost the equivalent of what his stats were, at least offensively, while he was in Chicago. And defensively, it's pretty much the same player. It's not very good. We all knew that was going to be the case, though, when we came into the season. To put in context, the type of hitter that Wilson Contreras has been now for two and a half months, Bryce Harper has an OPS plus of 119 this year. Jock Peterson and Eloy Jimenez, two players that I think all of us would sign up to put in the Cardinals lineup. They're at 110. Marcelo Zuna, Kyle Schwarber, 104. They've all got the majority of their at-bats as a designated hitter this season. And the reason why I bring that up is because if those guys were in your lineup, you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. They can be an everyday DH for us. Wilson Contreras is at 123. Better than any of the players that I just mentioned. His bat is good enough that even if you don't think he is going to be an everyday catcher moving forward, you think he's a guy that 50% of your game starts behind the plate, maybe even less than that next year and beyond. He's a good enough hitter right now to make up for that with the way that he is approaching things at the plate. If you can get this version of Wilson Contreras next year, he can be in your plans and you figure out the plan behind the plate as you go. Maybe that means Yvonne Herrera is going to start the majority of the games, two out of every three behind the plate next year. Maybe that means that Andrew Kisner is going to be your two out of three starter next year behind the plate, and you get the other two days as a designated hitter for Wilson Contreras. I'm not too worried about who that specific starter is. My worry was if he doesn't hit Wilson Contreras, you have no place for him and you have nowhere to send him because nobody's going to be trading for him. 
Right now, I think he has played his way into your plans for 2024, and he has done so with his bat. Yeah, I, I this is why I was in on Wilson Contreras in the offseason, not anything to do with his defense because we all knew how that was going to go, but it was about his offense, and this is the type of player that you signed up for, and I'm and this, I'm the one that's argued, like, who cares if he sucks behind the plate? Just put him back there because his offense is so good. I am perfectly fine if you do a 50-50 split or less. But the only way that's going to work is that you are comfortable with everybody else playing their positions because you can't utilize the DH like you utilize the DH this season. Wilson Contreras is going to have to be your DH for 50%, maybe more, of the season, which is great for this team because Andrew Kisner has shown his ability to play behind the plate. If you don't trade Yvonne Herrera, you got plenty of guys you feel comfortable with there. But that means you're not going to see as much of Alec Burleson if he's not playing the outfield. That means Jordan Walker is going to be designated to the right field position. And that means when you have the off days for Goldie and Arenado and certain guys, that's when Wilson Contreras is behind the plate. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. I'm I'm okay if that's the way you're going to go about it because his bat has played his way into the plans. And I, I thought his bat was going to come along. I mean, all the underlying numbers at the end of the first half were screaming like his numbers should be better. And that's why I said my T-Bone 3 bold prediction for second half. He'd have the best second half offensively of any Cardinal. And he's living up to that. So I think you can go into the offseason. And we talked about this earlier, like how are you going to recruit a pitcher when you've got a Wilson Contreras behind home plate? I think you tell that pitcher, hey, you're probably not going to be throwing to Contreras that often. It's probably going to be a 50-50 or 40-60 split between him and Kisner or Herrera, whoever they decide to keep. Because I would assume one of those guys has dealt in the offseason for whether it be pitching or whatever else you may think that you need this offseason. So I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with the idea of, hey, Contreras is going to be the DH. And maybe that does mean Goldie Arnato are in the field more. And maybe it leads to more days off for them. I mean, I the longer Goldie's second half struggles continue in terms of the lack of power, makes me wonder if more days off isn't the worst thing in the world for a Paul Goldschmidt. Maybe it helps keep him fresher through a 162 rather than, yes, the DH is a quote-unquote half day off. Maybe you give him more full days off compared to putting that DH, like, what is it, once a week, twice a week that they do currently. Can we dream a little bit? Uh, BK's dream? working on his Excel sheet. Oh, boy. Hold on. Get the glasses on, man. They're already on. All right, let's go to Nerdville. Would you guys like to hear about how the gap between the Cardinals and the Braves is actually not as big as you think it is? Only if we're looking at stats that matter like average and runs. No, what's the expected ERA plus? Well, bacon. So, I don't want to talk about the pitching for a second. Oh, okay. Set that off. Well, we heard already. It's embarrassing. Look over here. Look at our offense. I would like to talk about how the offenses are more similar than I think we give them credit for. Guys, the Braves have one of the most productive offenses we've ever seen. And if you're looking at the long ball, they are likely to break the single season record for most home runs hit by a team in a single season. The Cardinals don't have quite that kind of power. They also don't play in a ballpark that plays to that kind of power. But if you're looking at the underlying numbers or you're just looking at like batting average, on-base percentage, some of the other stuff that is supportive of offense, hard hit rate, exit velocity, etc., The Braves and the Cardinals are pretty similar, man. The offense here in St. Louis has not and will not be a problem, I do not believe, moving forward. Because the Cardinals are close enough to the Braves, which is the best team in baseball in my mind, to being able to support a top-five caliber team next year. Now, where they fall short is basically threefold. I looked into this last night because I was wondering. I was watching the Braves on uh, Sunday Night Baseball. I was like, hey, Where are the biggest gaps between the Cardinals and the Braves? Number one is slugging percentage, and that's the home runs, right? I I don't think there's a way for the Cardinals to improve that by going out and getting other people. 
The way to improve that is Jordan Walker hits a bunch more home runs next year. You get a full season out of somebody in the outfield that ends up playing up power wise. You level up next year with the power that you're getting from Paul Goldschmidt again. Brendan Donovan continues his power surge from this year, etc. The next thing that you need to improve is your defense. Now, that could be boosted by the conversation we just had about Wilson Contreras. Maybe next year, Wilson Contreras, instead of two out of every three days behind the plate, is playing one out of every three days behind the plate. Maybe my, by midseason next year, Jordan Walker is just an average outfielder. That would mean you go from having one of the worst defenders in all of Major League Baseball playing every day for you to having an average guy out there. That would save you about an extra 10 runs this season relative to what you've had so far this season from Jordan Walker. And it's just one player that changes there. And then the last and final thing that is the biggest difference between the gap. I looked through a bunch of different numbers last night between the Cardinals and the Braves. It's simply strikeout rate in the starting rotation. Because if you look at some of the underlying numbers between the Cardinals and the Braves rotations, they are not as wide as I would expect them to be. The Braves rotation is fine, but it ain't great. It's at a 4.1 ERA for their starting rotation this year. You guys know where the Cardinals are at at this point? You want me to guess? 4.7. Okay. If you look at the fielding independent pitching, the Braves are at a 4.2. The Cardinals are at a 4.3. The Cardinals pitching, starting pitching wide at at least, has not been as atrocious relative to the Braves as I would have anticipated. Now, the Braves also don't have a great rotation. It's fine, but it's not as much to write home about as we would expect because of the injuries that they've dealt with so far this year. You go out and you get an Aaron Nola. You go out and you get a Sonny Gray. Get two guys, one from the top tier, one from the mid tier that we've been talking about. Your offense plays to that capacity. Your pitching will then be right up there with the team like the Atlanta Braves. As much as we think it's crazy today, to suggest that the Cardinals could be right back into this thing this time next year. Dude, look at the Texas Rangers. You could be right back into this thing this time next year. It is absolutely in play for the Cardinals. I'm get my 2004 Cardinals vibe once again right now from BK. First of all, I never said that. You did. Second of all, I said 2013. Third of all, I think you can put this offense up against 2013, and it's not all that dissimilar. I don't think what I said about that was wrong. I think I actually feel better about that statement today than I did when I made it. The only difference for me is back to the consistent versus inconsistent conversation that I've had in the past. Like, uh, you know, certain guys are always going to be there for the Braves. And I don't know if I can always say that for the Cardinals. Who do you not feel that way about? Well, Paul Goldschmidt right now, Nolan Arenado at the beginning of the season. That's what you need. You don't have power if you don't have Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado, Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras, I'm still concerned, as great as he's been, like the first month you, or two of the season. No, no You no, just no, said no, that, look at him, no. he's been great well, for the Cardinals. Is. You cannot be the I one can. that is now low on Wilson Contreras. I'm, after when did you I say t- I was low on Contreras? I said I'm now. skeptical <laughs> of it being consistent. That's you low. Said all off That's season. low. Time out. You said all offseason. The reason why you wanted Wilson Contreras over Sean Murphy Absolutely. was because of the bat that you were getting Absolutely. with Wilson Contreras. And now he's inconsistent offensively? He has been inconsistent offensively the first two of the season. So we're going with a two-month sample size on Wilson Contreras yeah. over the seven-year career of Wilson Contreras. Yeah, because Contreras. it depends on when that two-month is. If you do it at the beginning of the season, you dig yourself into a I hole. I can do that with every player in Major League Baseball. Not in the Braves. Dude. The Braves, yes, you, you know that certain you, guys are always there for them. Who do you them. want me to go to on the Braves? I'll go do this right now with you. Acuna. We can have this conversation. Olsen. Acuna last year I could have done this with. Okay. Matt Olson. Yeah. You want to go with Matt Olson on yeah. when I mean, Look at Albies, for example. Yeah. Albies is the guy that everybody talks about. As, oh, man, he's a great player for them. 
Ozzy Albies in April slash March, 252 batting average, 792 OPS. In May, 250 batting average, 729 OPS. Then in June, he got hot, 278 batting average, 905 OPS, 241 in July with an 842 OPS. Matt like, Olson that's hit 215 in the month of May. 215. Over 107 at-bats. That's a month where he got the most at-bats, and he hit 215 that month. The, you can do that every single player in Major League Baseball. I don't care how good you are unless you were at the Ronald Acuna Jr. who was having a historic season. If you are anybody else, you're going to go through a month where you slump, man. And so, yes, you're absolutely correct. Wilson Contreras had a tough start to the season. Even then, I think we overstated how bad he was offensively. He was he was going through it relative to his career norms, but he was fine. Wilson Contreras is a really good hitter, man. And the Cardinals, like, while we say they're inconsistent, we say they're inconsistent because we watch them. The difference between the Cardinals being inconsistent and other teams being inconsistent is we watch them once a week. We watch the Braves when they're on Sunday night baseball, and we don't see them on a random Thursday game against the Oakland Athletics when Ozzie Albies is out there going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. That happens a lot. Ozzie Albies, if you look at his offensive numbers so, so far this season, you take some of the Cardinals in a significant way over what Ozzie Albies has been so far offensively. So I... I get it. The The Braves are the team that everybody's going to compare themselves to as you should. They are the best team in Major League Baseball. But again, offensively speaking, you are not that far away from where they are at right now. They're better than you. But the gap between them and you is closer than the gap is between the Braves and almost any other team in Major League Baseball. The place where you have to catch up is the rotation and that's why we get these texts on the text line that are like, hey, why are you guys spending so much time talking about the rotation? You're talking about the same five pitchers. Because that's it. That's the entire conversation about the Cardinals. The entire conversation about them is how do they catch these other teams? And these other teams, the way that you catch them is with pitching. That's it. It, it is that simple. So, Alex, your guy, Wilson Contreras, who you think is inconsistent, He's going to be a part of the way that they end up competing with these other Don't teams next think year. think he is inconsistent, but some of that is because they told him he's not a catcher anymore. That's now, why he struggled. Now he just recognizes that he's not a catcher for them anymore. Technically an outfielder slash DH. I haven't touched the outfield yet. I just, I can't. I, I think what, I, I think I what, can't believe this became negative, man. <laughs> it's not negative. It's Ferrario. He hates the Cardinals. <laughs> I'm a realist. No, but you're the Realism. Most, I mean, to be fair, you find love- a negative on the Blues. Sometimes, well, yeah, no, when they're losing, the yes. Um, well, I mean, well, in Alex's defense, the Cardinals are Cardinals losing. Are I was, we all said that we thought that the Blues had a serious chance to be able to upset the Avs. When the when the Blues deserve praise, we give them praise. And on when this the show. Cardinals deserve praise, I'll give it to them. No, you don't. Like when Zach Thompson pitches last year well, going into the playoffs, you hated the Cardinals. Even yeah, then, true. was I wrong? <laughs> Was I wrong? And then we use the two-game sample as the reason why all these players At least when I was optimistic about a team, they lost their X-Factor, and that's why they fell apart. Coming up next, the next two free agent markets, you're going to be surprised by this. They set up really nicely for the Blues, but are they worse than expected? Alex will tell you why next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. weeks ago about how good this upcoming free agent class is for the NHL and alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. the Athletic had another piece earlier today on which teams are best suited 
to go out to the free agent market after this season if they wanted to, to really reinforce their current core players on their roster. Alex, I think the Blues are one of those teams. If they wanted to go to the market this out this offseason and sign somebody that can really come in and help them in a significant way, they've got the money, they've got the capital to be able to do exactly that. But when we were talking about this before the show, you said something that I found to be interesting. We talked about what's out there for them on the open market and you said you think that it might actually be a little overrated in terms of what is coming up this next offseason in the free agent market. I do. I think this 2024 free agency is top heavy in terms of you go after one of the premier free agents. And then after that, there's really not much there that matches what the Blues are trying to accomplish. And those top guys are Austin Matthews, which just like Shohei, you can cross Austin Matthews' name off because that's not happening. No, sorry. William Nylander is the other one. Now, I think this free agency class was a little bit sexier before Sebastian Ajo resigned in Carolina. But after Matthews and Nylander, like Sam Reinhart's a good name. That would probably be the next one there. But then you go down, I'm looking at a bunch of guys that are 34, 35 years old that don't match where the Blues are going. Stamkos, Voracek, uh, Matt Murray, Mark Shifley, Matt Zuccarella, Adam Henrique. Like the names really aren't as appealing to me as if you go to 2025. And, And this is the part that I find interesting. If you look at the 2025 free agent market, that screams more Blues pounce on a lot of names that could take their team to that next tier. First of all, they're going to have an extra. I think the difference between next off season and the off season following, depending on what they do with their own players, it's like 16 mil versus 31 mil. And then take into consideration the young players on rookie contracts that are going to be playing for them. Bolduke, Dean, Snuggerud, potentially Dvorsky. And you've got the two defensemen that are either gone or their no trades are now modified in terms of Krug and Letty. So we're talking about a lot more areas available to you. And let me read through these names that are unrestricted free agents in 2025. Mitch Marner, Miko Rantanen, Leon Dreisaitl, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Aaron Ekblad, Brock Besser, um, Brad Marchand, Brock Nelson, Taylor Hall, Nate Schmidt. And then you get into the defense. The defense is the more appealing one for me because you're talking about potential UFAs or RFAs that are difference makers. So I would say rather than pounce next offseason, the Blues are well-suited and should pounce in 2025. I think it's a really interesting take, man, because I don't. I, I think you're zigging while everybody else is zagging, and I think there's something to what you're saying. Austin Matthews is not an option here in St. Louis. You're not in, in the goalie market, so Connor Hellebuck, while he's obviously a star, he does nothing for you here in St. Louis. You're not going to be in that market. Uh, you don't want to sign Steven Stamkos. Uh, he's 33 years old. He's going to be 34. And let's be honest, he's probably going to stick Same with Tampa, Tampa Bay anyways. Right. Nylander is kind of more of what you have with Jordan Cairo. Now he goes about it differently, but he's a defensive liability who just scores a bunch of uh, goals and floats through the game. Brandon Monster is a good player. Do I think he's a top pair defenseman? I'm not so sure if on a championship caliber team, that is the role that you want him playing. I would say that it's really the center market that you're interested in. If you're the blues and you're looking at a guy like Elias Lindholm or Mark Shifley or Chandler Stevenson, Lindholm would be the name that I would really kind of hone in on. He's 28 years old this upcoming season. So you'd be signing him at 29. And I think that you have some reservations about Lindholm that are totally reasonable But when you look at what he brings to the table, specifically with the defensive side of things, I could match Elias Lindholm up against the opposing team's top line, and I don't have to worry about Robert Thomas having to do exactly that. 
He's not going to give you 85 points per year the way that you expect for Robert Thomas, but that's also not the role that I would be putting him into. I want him to be on a a line that defensively is going to be able to keep up with these other teams. So I, I think he's the guy to me next offseason that really stands out. The problem is there's one that I can pick out. And if I can just point to one guy in a free agent class, that's obviously not ideal because then it looks like anybody that wants a defensive-minded centerman, they're probably going to Lindholm because they've all got the same same idea of what he can be for them as you do for what he can be for the Blues. Well, my only or I do my only issue with with uh, Lindholm is you're paying him nine million dollars, probably more if he's going down the path that it seems like he's going because he's still not negotiating with Calgary. And I'm not paying that money for a guy who his criteria is defense. Now, he's been an offensive player, but it's when he's had some elite players on the wings with him, whether it was Matthew Kachuk or Johnny Goudreau. Look at the drop off that he had last year with Jonathan Marcheseau and Nazem Kadri. When they lost the two guys, he wasn't the same player. Even defensively, he wasn't that good for them last season. So he... As much as I agree, like, yeah, he is a guy who can be a Selkie Trophy candidate. He's also a guy that's going to be 29 years old and paying nine, nine and a half million dollars. And unless you're putting up 80 plus points, I can't pay you that much money because I think I can get a more of a difference maker. Even if he's bad defensively, I could get more of a difference maker for more money on the free agent. Market. I just look at the value that Ryan O'Reilly brought for your team early in his tenure here in St. Louis and wonder, could you get something similar to that with Elias Lindholm. And I don't know the answer to that question. And he's going to be older than what Ryan O'Reilly was when he first got here to St. Louis. But points-wise, they, they put up pretty similar numbers. And I'm not even looking at what Lindholm did in 22 when he put up the career year with 82 points that season. Uh, the rest of his career, he's been a 50 to 60 point type of a guy. And that's kind of where Ryan O'Reilly was. So that would be what I would point to. But again, I could point to one guy in this upcoming class and that speaks to where we're at. I just think that's going to become the new norm. Yeah, I think that's where we're at in the NHL now, where you get one or two guys every offseason that really change what the outlook is for your franchise. I think the NHL is now where the NBA has been, which is guys have quote-unquote pre-agency. And what I mean by that is, man, a year before these guys become free agents, they're getting traded. And then they extend with their new teams. This is what we saw last offseason that really became the new trend in the NHL. And I think you're going to see it happening more and more often in the NHL. So those guys that you think are going to be free agents in 25 right now, like Pavel Buchnevich is a part of that group. First of all, they're not yet eligible to resign with their teams. And second of all, if they don't resign with their teams, they're going to get dealt elsewhere. And then they're going to end up signing with those new teams. So I, I don't think this time next year, that list that you're currently looking at as the 2025 free agents, half of them will either be signed or traded at that point next year. Maybe. Or maybe these guys look at the landscape of the salary cap going up $10 million by 2025 and say, I'd rather test the waters and see what's out there. Uh, I think right now you see guys get locked up long term because they don't know what the cap is going to look like, the uncertainty of what the last few years have been. If I'm Mitch Marner, if I'm um, Miko Rantanen, I'm looking at the landscape and saying, okay, cap's going to continue to go up. Seems like it's in a good position. I'm young. I'm going to hit the market and see what's out there. Now, some teams... Next year's the year that it starts going up, right? Yeah, well, yeah, next year it's supposed to go up $4 million, and then by 2025 it goes up $10 million, I think, what the expectation so is. That'll so that'll be the test. 
because next year, if you start seeing it go up and then next off season, that's when guys like Pavel Buchnevich are available and eligible to extend long-term with their current clubs. That's when you'll start hearing about whether or not uh, they, they are willing to take those long-term deals that you're Maybe. thinking of. I, I, that's why I, I just, I'm kind of reading the writing on the wall right now. Like I brought up Keandre Miller. Now he's a restricted free agent in 2025, but he only signed a two year contract extension this off season as an RFA, which is going to take him to another RFA status when the salary caps is expected to go up by 10. And if they're not willing to pay, you could see more of a Matthew Kachuk thing. I forgot who had it on the athletic, but they talked about why players in the NHL are starting to dictate where they're going to go. And it was talking about one, the cap has been stagnant for so long and two, the players recognize that they have a little bit more say in certain things like this. And I think when you get the elite of elite, which is what 2025 is starting to look like, guys are going to start dictating where they want to go and try and play their cards. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer with a movie that 15 years ago we all thought was just the happiest possible story, the best possible ending for everybody involved. And now we're finding out it was all built on a lie. We'll explain what that was next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Alex, when I was in high school, there was a movie that dropped. Everybody loved it. It was well acclaimed. It's called The Blind Side. You may be familiar with it. It was about a gentleman by the name of Michael Lower. Played for Ole Miss, ended up being drafted in the NFL, played a few years for the Baltimore Ravens. It was this feel-good story, right? Kid that had never played football before gets adopted by this family. They put him into football, and he ends up becoming a stud gets recruited by everybody in the country everybody wants him and he goes to Ole Miss and becomes a star there as well well that entire story was apparently built upon a lie this is a new report that came out earlier today on ESPN.com Michael A. Fletcher has the story it starts like this retired NFL star Michael Ower uh, whose supposed adoption out of grinding poverty by a wealthy white family immortalized by the 2009 movie called The Blind Side was petitioned in a Tennessee court on Monday with allegations that a central element of the story was a lie concocted by the family to enrich themselves at his expense. This story goes on. It is a long one. It is lengthy. It essentially says this. The two quote-unquote parents that adopted him never actually adopted him. Instead, the legal document that they had him sign essentially gave them all of the rights to his story so they could tell it and profit off of it, and so he could not. Alex, these untold documentaries that are coming out, last year one came out on Mancy Teo, this year we just saw one on Johnny Manziel. A year from now, we're going to get one on Michael Ower. This is one of the more unbelievable storylines that I could have seen coming out. Today. Yeah, and the title of it's going to be called Blindsided because, like, you got to be it's kidding well me done. with this. I, I, the, the crazier part for me with all of this was that he was never even adopted. 
Like they they basically said you were adopted and had them sign paperwork that was just, oh yeah, you're a part of a conservatorship, and so we're just going to use your name and likeness. And uh, I saw this on Twitter. So that movie had a budget of thirty million dollars and grossed three hundred million dollars at the box office, yep. uh, based on standard cut movie netted around one hundred seventy five mil. The Tui Children got $225,000 plus 2.5% of the net profits from that film. They got $4.6 million each, and Michael Orr got nothing yep. for a story. The, fam- the parents also got that money Oh, yeah, they well. got, I, think th- I thought they had more than that. It says on this in this story that, according to the legal filing, the movie paid the Tuies and their two birth children each $225,000 and 2.5% of the film's pro- proceeds. The, 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 the mom, the Leanne Tuie, she has been apparently a motivational speaker since this movie has come out. So 14 years, she has been a motivational speaker, I would just imagine, tinfoil theory yep. about making bold decisions like we did adopting somebody and it paying off and this is why you got to be a good person the entire time she has been a motivational speaker in the back of her mind she's like yeah we're screwing this kid over right now i can't believe this has gone on as long as it has <laughs> well, apparently he just found out about this like how did he not know for 14 plus years so apparently he knew he had an idea of some of this stuff and he, according to this story, was content to live with the mil- um, the myth that was created by the movie because its inspirational message outweighed the pain that was inflicted on his own life. I get that. At the time, he was still playing in the NFL, yeah, which I, I would imagine it. you can overlook that. He's living his dream. He's like, you know what? Whatever. I'm not profiting off of this. I have made my money based on my own abilities if this family is profiting off of it and if others are gaining something that is inspirational to them by this movie depicting something that is maybe not entirely real so be it i can understand how you get yourself to that point but now when you look back on it and you find out that they never even adopted you that's got to be the part that bothers him the most and no money has gone in your direction Mm. and it starts to it starts to impact you when the dream job that you had in the NFL goes away and that money stops. Well, and again, the, these people, I would imagine he viewed them as his parents. Yeah. And for them to not even actually take them in as their own, like they were telling him this lie. They were fulfilling this lie in order for them to profit off of his likeness. Oh, that is. <laughs> That's ridiculous, man. I mean, there aren't even words to describe the types of scum of the earth human you have to be in order to do. And I guarantee they're going to ghost this, the twoies I'm speaking of as long as possible because their entire, well, at least hers, I don't know what he's doing, but their entire premise and career right now is based off of that film and what their impact is. And now that's all been a lie. Now they're going to ghost this as long as possible. I mean, until the Netflix money comes. And not only that, like. They can ghost it all they want to. It's a legal filing now. Yep. <laughs> this is no longer him like calling saying, hey, I need my money. I need my money. Now he has gone to court and filed against them to try to get what is probably his due. The problem is he signed the document. He was 18 years old. But did he know it was that document? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you knowingly sign a document. It matters if you signed the document. Unless you he, were told it was a different document. Like, if yeah, you were told that was the adoption it. papers, yeah. and it was a How concert- do you prove that? 
that that's the tough. That's going to be the hard part. Like, it, it would be impossible to prove that you unknowingly signed this. Yeah, that's now, if they could prove part. that he never actually signed it and that they forged his signature, sure, I could totally see how he would get a lot that's coming his way. I'm not sure how much he's going to be able to that's get just legally be, coming his direction. I think that's just going to be word of mouth versus word of mouth, and it's going to be yeah. versus that type of scum Man. versus this guy who's going through it. That is what a story. Uh, this is something that we'll certainly continue to follow if there are any new developments that come from it. Yeah. A story that was made into a blockbuster film all completely based blindsided book on book it that's what the title is going to be did you come up with that or did you see all the people that were tweeting that out oh people no i came up with that (laughs) okay were people tweeting it yeah it's a good one some traction then i mean you you better start talking about netflix right now (laughs) believe me somebody beat me to that punch already i'm just the idiot that said it out loud unbelievable all right coming up in about 15 minutes or so 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line you give us a scenario we will tell you if we are in or out on it coming up at 115 but next there's a great podcast that came out over the weekend with Derek gould on the differences between the pitching development in the Rays system and the pitching development in the cardinal system we'll let you hear some of our top takeaways from that conversation next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So we got to see the Cardinals take on the Tampa Bay Rays last week. And while the Cardinals were down in Tampa, Uh, Derek Gould was able to catch up with the Tampa Bay Rays beat writer. They had a great conversation, Alex. It's in the best podcast in baseball. If you just Google best podcast in baseball, you'll be able to find it. But they had a conversation about where the Cardinals are at right now in terms of their pitching development and really where the Rays are at with their pitching development. Because unlike where we were 15 years ago, the Cardinals are no longer the one that's being chased in that regard. It's now the Rays that everybody is trying to emulate. How can we get our pitching development to where the Rays are at right now? Unfortunately, the Cardinals are now chasing other teams. So I want to get into a couple of the things that they talked about on this podcast to discuss where the Cardinals have fallen behind and is it possible for them to catch back up? So let's start with the technology because the Rays are one of the leading teams in tech Right now, I know we've had a few people ask about the pitching lab that we've discussed that the Cardinals do not have. That's something that the Rays have had for years. Here's what the Rays beat writer had to say about them. Yeah, they have a lab here at Tropicana Field, like I'm sure most teams do, where they have all the data, all the equipment, all those kind of things. Cardinals do not. Well, that's interesting because I would think most teams do. In spring they training, want one. In spring training even, and, and this was the Rays, remember, they had to move spring training to Disney, a short notice. And we show up there the first day and... You know, there's the first guys we see throwing bullpens under the covered mounds. They've got the screens right there. So they're throwing a pitch, and they're immediately looking at the screen. What were the numbers on the screen? So they were getting all the data right there. First bullpen of the spring. The Cardinals do have a portable setup right. like that. They don't have the classic right. lab. So, yeah, they right. were doing this at spring right. training for the first time. Yeah. This was this past spring, okay. just to give, put this in perspective, yeah. was the first time where they had that setup. Interesting. So – Alex, there's a million different things that we could get into with this, but that's Mark Topkin, who's on the best podcast in baseball with Derek Gould, talking about the pitching lab that the Rays have had for years. He was shocked when Derek told him, 
Yeah, the Cardinals actually don't have that. This is the first year in their history that they've actually implemented all of the different Rapsodo machines and all of this stuff, the tech that is the equivalent of what they had been using previously with Jeff Albert at the helm for the hitters. They're now finally getting into that on the pitching side of things. And the reason why this is important, like forget the analytics and all of that. It's about like developing pitches. Like if I'm a pitcher right now, how often do we talk about spin rate, right? And how important that can be for pitchers. It's great to have instantaneous feedback. You know, what really is nice sometimes on our show guys is getting the instantaneous feedback from the text line. Uh, it can be infuriating. Don't get me wrong. Let's not compare. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but sometimes it is really nice to get an instant feedback. Last week, when I had no idea that apparently uh, the New Orleans Saints had not actually signed Kareem Hunt. Finding that out immediately was a good thing for us. So that way we could correct it on the fly. If you're a pitcher and you've been dealing with something with your hamstring, right? It's been tight. It's been pulling at you a little bit. And because of that, your arm slot has changed a bit because you're overcompensating. It will show you that on some of these machines. If you go to the pitching lab for the Rays, you will see, oh, my release point is off a little bit. And they can instantaneously diagnose that so it doesn't become a problem over your next three starts, right? You find that out after every pitch that you throw. Up until this season, the Cardinals had not been capable of doing that. That is a really, really big deal. Uh, I know you said at the beginning, I'm going to forget analytics for a minute, but I don't think you can forget analytics because doesn't that have a piece of the pie in this conversation? Like that's the department that's it working does. with just, these pitchers. I never want to say the dirty word because sometimes I, I think it loses people. And like if you just substitute information, because that's what this is, right? Like whether you want to call it the old school, because some of this is old school, like a release point is something people in baseball have been talking about for a hundred years. Uh, if you want to talk about like the shape of your pitches, if you want to dive super nerdy into it with the numbers, or if you just want to get like, hey, your slider's not moving as much as it used to, you can go as far or as surface level as you want to. That is what all of this allows you to do is to get into that stuff. But you need that in this scenario to find out ways to improve and develop and stay with the rest of the league in Major League Baseball. And that's the part that, I mean, it you go to the coaching staff and you look at it and you say, okay, why has this not not been implemented? And at least for the Cardinals, you can make an, a, at least argument. I, I don't know when it was instigated with the Tampa Bay Rays or like, Oh, it's been there for like a decade now. Yeah. I, I mean, they've transitioned from through multiple managers before you finally got to one that has gotten to the point where he understands how baseball is continuing to develop and no shot against Mike Schilt, but that was a little bit of an older school mentality. Mike Matheny, a little bit of an older school mentality. Like now you've been transitioning into it, and I would hope for the amount of money that we're spending on the new spring training facilities in Jupiter that these are going to be implemented because if the rest of the league is continuing to develop, I mean, look at how hockey works with younger defensemen and mobile defensemen and how they've changed the information of how to utilize those players. Everybody's doing it now. How can the Cardinals not be there? Yeah, and I don't know. I, I don't know how they fell so far behind because BK was right not that long ago, over a decade ago, the Cardinals were the team of, hey, we got to do what the Cardinals are doing. What are the Cardinals doing right that we aren't doing? And all of a sudden, they got not only did they get passed, they fell into last place. I mean, they fell behind on hitting to where Jeff Albert was the guy a couple of years ago. For all the flaws he had as the hitting coach that everybody said that he had, he was the guy that made the Cardinals offense you're watching now a modern offense, where Gorman came through a system and is slugging. Jordan Walker's coming through the system and is slugging. Alec Burleson came through the system and is slugging. Now Dusty's, Dusty Blake's responsibility is the guy to fix the pitching staff and get it to a 
more modern rotation. And that's why we said in the offseason, you know, they brought in Dusty Blake and said, oh, we want him to help help reshape this rotation, add some swing and stuff to those guys. He wasn't going to be able to do that. Are you kidding me? They didn't have a modern rotation. They had guys that pitched to contact. So this is where their next step is as an organization, is to figure out how do we catch up with baseball. And not only while we're catching up on the pitching side, how do we keep pace with where baseball is going with analytics and figuring out what is the next technology that's going to lead to somebody getting the next advantage? Or how do we become the team that gets the next advantage? They cannot fall behind like they had with hitting and now are currently with pitching again. So somebody on the text line brings up a great point from the 314. Guys, every single golfer that is worth his salt in St. Louis has hit with some kind of a simulator at some point in their lives and the Cardinals just started using technology this year, that suggests that they are very far behind. Exactly. That That is a great comparison because golf has been kind of out on the forefront with a lot of this stuff as well. Alex, I'm not sure if you've ever I've had done your this swing multiple times. checked out, but they can, I mean, the way that you are able to see every portion of your swing with your golf swing. When you go buy new golf clubs, like they, they, they recommend you, you go and swing clubs so that they can put you on a tracker to see which ones work better. And that's what they're doing now with baseball as well, with the swing things that we're talking about with Marucci. That's what Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and Lars Newtbar all went down to New Orleans to be able to get their new bats because they're able to distribute the weight evenly in a way that works best for you it's all personalized just like it is with your golf equipment that you use on a night in or a day in day out basis pitching has had all of that stuff even longer so the stuff that they're doing right now on the hitting side of things this is kind of new age right it's 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 newer the pitching stuff has been around for a long time we have a lot of this information now publicly available to us when we get it teams have had it for five years already so think about that we have all of this stuff in front of our eyes and the Cardinals have a decent amount of it now because a lot of it is portable, right? But you mentioned the spring training complex. That is, I would imagine something they're going to have as part of it is this pitching lab where they can go in and they could really hone their craft. Something that I would be super curious about going into this off season, when you've got guys like Lucas Giolito, super into tech, Sonny Gray, super into tech, I don't know where Snell or Urias or Nola stand on that stuff. I think Otani's into it. I'm not sure on that. It doesn't matter because you're not signing him anyways. This is the kind of thing that can sway a decision for some of these pitchers is they will know, like Carlos Correa, obviously you didn't want to sign him. Things have gone poorly. But just as an example, he was a guy that was very into the more advanced number side of things. He would have fit here because the Cardinals are now going down that lane where they've got all of the information available to him. There are probably certain teams, Kansas City being one of them, he just wouldn't want to play for because he doesn't fit philosophically with where they're at. I do wonder if the lack of tech here in St. Louis on the pitching side of things will prevent them from being in conversations with some of the free agents. I'd be very worried about that because if I'm Aaron Nola, not so much Blake Snell, but if I'm these top end guys or even the third tier that we've talked about that want to take their step, their, their career to the next level, I'm going to be looking at teams that have all of this technology. Like Tampa Bay is going to be a very sexy name if they're calling me during free agency. Whereas if the Cardinals call, I'm going to be a little concerned about their past recency pass of certain pitchers and how they've continued to grow through their career and the conversations that are taking place outside of that organization of other teams and other players saying, yeah, they don't have the proper tech because I can guarantee you all of these free agent pitchers, even Yamamoto over in Japan, their agents are checking in on 
the conversations about the Cardinals pitching side of things compared to Tampa or Seattle or Baltimore or all of these teams that could also be calling. So the other thing that they talked about, I wanted to get to one other thing from this podcast. It, the entire thing I, I really do believe is worth your time if you're interested in any of this stuff. Uh, Derek Gould talking with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He's the Rays beat writer down there. Uh, Mark was asked about the Rays focus on their philosophy. Like what are, how do they get the most out of pitchers? It feels like pitchers go down to Tampa and then they resurrect their careers. We saw this this year with uh, Zach Eflin, for example, who was put into the bullpen last year in the postseason for the Phillies now went down to Tampa Bay and is like the only healthy starter that they have remaining. Here's what Mark Topkin said on how they get the best out of those guys. They are an incredible organization steeped in positivity. They get a pitcher, whether it's a guy coming up that they develop or a guy they bring in from somewhere else. It's always, here's what you do good. We've got a couple ideas that maybe can make that a little better. Don't worry so much about what you don't do good. We'll work on that later. So it's always emphasizing what they do well, building the positivity. So it's not the old school pitching coach where it's, you're never going to make it if you can't throw that curveball over the plate, kid. Like, you don't have that. It's a very positivity-steeped uh, philosophy. So that is something that I find really interesting, guys. Because if you look at, like, for example, what they have right now in Steven Matz, what does Steven Matz do well? Well, he's got pretty good velocity from the left side. And when he's on, he's got a couple of good plus secondary pitches. Just focus on that. Don't worry about anything else. Just keep your velocity up and work on those secondary pitches. Matthew Liberator, right? What are the things that you do really well? Well, when he's on, he's got really good velocity and he's got a curveball that is among the best that we've seen here in St. Louis recently, not named Adam Wainwright. So you look at it, you say, okay, focus on those two things. Keep that velocity up later into a game, and let's get that curveball going. Let's land it for strikes. That is really what Dusty Blake has been preaching. A lot of the stuff that you hear in this conversation, you'll think to yourself, have I heard Dusty Blake or Ollie Marmel talk about that this year? The chances are you probably have. You've probably heard a lot of the stuff that you hear that the Rays do spoken about now with Dusty Blake as the pitching coach for the St. Louis Cardinals. So they're trying to head in the right direction, man. But just like the offense, it's going to take some time and it's probably going to go through some periods where you're like, "Ooh, not sure this is going as well as we wanted it to. Just like with the offense, you went through some of those growing pains early on in this. So it's going to take a while. The Cardinals have fallen well behind many other teams across the major leagues, but it was interesting to hear the the difference between where the Rays are at and where the Cardinals are trying to get to. Look, they're going to have a tough time catching up at the major league level right now without just going out and signing guys that have swing and miss stuff. Instead of try, They're not going to be able to bring in a guy and maximize him if he doesn't have swing and miss. Libertor they can work with because he does have swing and miss stuff. Where this overhaul needs to start beginning is at the minor league level. And not just at the minor league level where they're teaching guys swing and miss stuff, but the draft too. It's That's where it's going to start from. Because look at the, as much as I said, well, look at what Jeff Albert implemented into uh, the offense. Where did that start? Started in the draft, taking bigger swings on guys that have bigger upside with their bat. Gorman in draft pick, Jordan Walker high draft I think you pick. might have seen that at the deadline. Like TK Roby, that's a big swing, man. It's a yeah. big swing on a big-time right-handed arm with some injury questions. Tink Hintz, it's a big swing on a right-handed arm that you believe has upside in the big league. So they're, they're getting there. Again, it's just taking them time to get to all of these different things that we're hoping to see out of the St. Louis Cardinals. One other thing from the text line, I thought this was a really good point. From the uh, 314. Guys, the Cardinals did have for years a pitching lab. His name was Yadier Molina. I think there's some truth to that. 
I think the Cardinals put so much belief into Yachty getting the most out of pitchers that it wasn't as important when you had him behind the plate at being able to really quantify things because Yachty was like a processor from a computer in his own mind. And he had so much experience and so much trust built up within the organization. You just go to him and you think he's probably right. And more often than not, he was. He would go to John Lester and say, hey, stop throwing this, start throwing this, let's go to work. He'd go to Jay Happ and say, stop throwing this, start throwing this, let's go to work. Same thing was true last year with Jordan Montgomery. And more often than not, it went pretty well. But now that he's gone, you've fallen so far behind and you don't have that available to you. Whoo, buddy. It's going to take a minute to be able to catch up to these other teams around the league, uh, around the big leagues. Coming up next, in or out here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service tax line for in or out you give us a scenario we'll tell if we are in or out on it guys let's start with this in or out luke and baker starts at least three games for the cardinals this week as they are taking on three left-handed pitchers this week including tonight by the way with jp sears i'm gonna say out i think there's more guys that they're gonna want in the lineup than luke and baker and I think Luke and Baker will get one start and then pinch hit opportunity. So out. I think I'm going to say out too. I don't, as much as a lot of people would like to see him get opportunities, I just don't know where they're coming from right now. Because even at DH, well, maybe he could DH. That would be where his opportunity is coming. I think there's going to be more of Kisner behind the plate and Contreras DHing. That's the thing is, even then, I have a tough time. Or one of the outfielders and Burleson playing. I'm going to stick with out. I I just don't see. I think the view men's a bench bat. And maybe as we get in later in the year, maybe you see more. But right now, I'm going to say out. They've been trying to get like one DH day a week for Goldie. They've been doing it for Jordan Walker because he gets those are work days for him where he goes out into the outfield and Willie McGee just wears him out in the outfield. So uh, you get at least one of those for each of them. And then Wilson Contreras has been getting about one a week as well. So that's three of your DH days out of the five or six games that you're playing. I'm going to say out. I think he gets two. I think he gets two starts this week for the Cardinals. Um, so it'll end up going under the three that we suggested there. Alex, what do you got? Boys in or out? Let's go over to hockey. One of the top four Blues defensemen this year has a bounce back season. Bounce top back four? season. Yeah, one of your top four. So Letty Krug, Falk, or Pareko. Bounce back season. I don't have any particular numbers with sure. it, but you end the you season feel. by saying these guys are back. Uh, in. I, I think Tory Krug, I, I feel good about his season coming up. I'm not suggesting that he's going to be like a shutdown defenseman. I think you could leave this season and Tory Krug is exactly what he thought he was two years ago, where you were going into the playoffs against the Avs. And when he took the ice for that final game where he didn't play, you were excited about the possibility of him getting back onto the ice, not scared about him ruining what you had built against the Avs. So I, I think that spoke to the value that he brought to your team a couple of years ago. And I think he could get right back to that if he's healthy this season. I'm going to say out. I, I think the defense showed its true colors last year and had been masked by the offense two years ago. I, I think 
though I think the offense could get closer to what it was in 21 where I just said where that defense was masked. I think Krug only can bounce back if the power play takes the next step, and that power play is banking on Jakub Vrana to be that guy. So otherwise, I think he's going to be what you saw last year. I think Preikel's the same guy you saw last year. Doesn't have a partner with him that you really trust in Nick Letty, so you don't see the bounce back. And then I, if there was one guy that I would maybe circle, it would be Justin Falk is potentially having a bounce back, but... I, I just don't see this defense improving. I think it's a lot of what it was last year. Yeah, my, my bounce back would be Colton Pareko. So I'm in on this one. I think you'll see a lot of him, what you saw at the end of the season last year. And I think the new voice of Mike Weber is going to benefit him. You got a younger mentality. And I will say another guy that I'm optimistic about, Marco Scandella being better than Nick Letty hmm. to where he's a top four. And we view Letty as a bottom pair defenseman. I could see that. T-Bone? Guys, the AP Top 25 came out today for college football. Your top four, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, in or out. In the last year of the Pac-12, we see a Pac-12 team get to the college football playoff, the highest-ranked team in the preseason, USC at six. USC. USC's getting in this year. Caleb Williams is – Yeah. That guy is special. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that defense. It was terrible a year ago. It's always terrible. Lincoln Riley has no idea how to coach defense, and he puts his friends in charge of his defense as opposed to having the best coach over there. Um, So all of that makes me cautious, but Pac-12 ain't great. USC has the best quarterback in the country, the best quarterback I've seen in college football since Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think I'm in. I think they end up in the college football playoff. I'm with you. I think it's USC with that one. Does does Caleb Williams win back-to-back Heisman's? Yes. I'll say yes. That's Who, where I was. I'm optimistic about that one. Has that? I asked this because I truly don't know. Has that happened before? Uh, I don't know either. And if it has, I mean, I'm it's sure been it's such happened a long in the past, time. But yeah, it's not anything we would remember. Archie Griffin won it twice. What year was that? Back to back? believe so. That had to be like the 60s, well, I was right? Say, no. <laughs> or 80s? Uh, 74, 75. That was yeah, the last time. I wouldn't have that. I'm out on this, by the way. I think the Pac-12 dies without seeing a playoff team get in this year. I USC, I mean, what you guys said, sure, they're going to have great offense. But as you saw last year, the defense is going to let them down time after time after time. And at some point, it's just too much for an offense to overcome. And I know uh, Lincoln Riley got into the playoffs, what, once with Oklahoma? And you saw what the ceiling is. Like, I, I think they can be a top 10 team all year. I think there's going to be a point where they're going to lose one game, maybe two. And it's going to keep them out of the college football playoff. I'm out. I think the Pac-12 dies without a playoff team. Uh, guys, in or out from the 636, williams Winery is a tiger at the end of the day. For those not familiar that don't uh, follow recruiting closely, kid's a top five player in the country, a legit five-star prospect. It is Mizzou or Oklahoma. He is announcing around 4 o'clock this afternoon. The expectation, based on everybody that's in the know, seems to be suggesting that it is going to go the Tigers' way. I am in, M-I-Z. Z-O-U, I'm in with you, but man, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Everyone's like, oh yeah, it's going to be Mizzou. And he steps up there and pulls out the Oklahoma hat. Does the classic, oh, look yeah. at me put my yeah. Mizzou hat on. I'm going to be optimistic with this one, though. I'll say I'm in, too. Every, everybody seems to be reporting that he's going to be choosing the Missouri Tigers, and I don't have any reason to doubt that. So I, I'm going to say... And I think he's going to be a Tiger by the end of the day. Guys, in or out, this week will be Adam Wainwright's final start for the Cardinals until the final game of the season. Out. I still think they're going to continue to throw him out there no matter what. I, I, if you haven't pulled him out of that rotation yet, I just don't see them doing it. You're talking about what, after this next one, three more starts by the end of the season? Uh, like five, I think. Okay. Yeah, uh, a little more. Uh, unless it's an IL stint, I, I think you're going to keep throwing him out there. Uh, I'm in on this. I, I, I think he can't turn it around against the Mets. 
and we haven't seen any signs to believe so i think he's going on the aisle and he's not going to reappear until the final game and which he maybe does they have a cool moment whether it is he starts and throws one inning and gets pulled maybe they try and push him through five or they just bring him out of the bullpen one final time and he i wouldn't say closes the game but comes out of the bullpen for one final time i i'm in i i can't th- i can't see where you continue to run him out here when he's not even competitive and right now it's about building the team for 2024 Wayno's on his last ride. I think you got you've got to take this opportunity to try and develop a pitcher at the major league level. Uh, next thing here from the three one four guys, neither Mizzou or Illinois started the season in the top twenty five for college football. In or out, one of those two teams will finish the season in the top twenty five. I was going to do this for more likely to happen tomorrow. Um, did Illinois? They didn't finish in the top twenty-five last year, did they? No, no, I don't think they did. They were in it though a couple of times. Yeah, they were in it for a while, for a couple weeks in a row, and then they went on like a three-game losing streak. Um, I'm out on this. I, I think Illinois takes a step back. I think they're still above five hundred team, but I can't see them getting in, and I don't think Mizzou is going to get into the top twenty-five either. So I'm out. Don't I don't help. think either one is. Yeah. Illinois got three votes right now though on the AP <laughs> top twenty-five. South Carolina finished in the top twenty-five last year at eight and five out of the SEC. If you think Mizzou can win eight games this year, they probably get right into the back half of the top 25. I'm cautiously optimistic about Mizzou this year. I will say I'm in. I think Mizzou finishes in the top 25 at the very back portion of it at eight and four. That's my optimistic route for Mizzou is eight and four. Yeah, I'm out on this one and I hope they are, but I'm definitely out on that. I don't have any faith in. I would say Mizzou's got a better chance than Illinois. I think so, too. I'd probably agree with that because I think they're built like what Illinois was last year where they're going to have to rely on the defense to carry. I also think the beginning of the season is going to be their best opportunity to get into that top 25 for well, Mizzou. I'm talking about at the end. No, of the that's what I'm saying. I think their beginning of the season is going to be best, but then I think they drop out of it by the end of the year. I, I think the SEC is weaker than people are anticipating this year. I, I know famous last words. I didn't think the SEC was that good last year, honestly. Um, I thought the top of it was great. Like Georgia, Alabama, LSU was very good last season. Obviously all excellent. Tennessee was very good, but the middle was not good at all. Like Kentucky wasn't great last year. South Carolina won eight games and they were super average. And honestly, at the beginning of the season, they were not very good. And then Spencer Rattler turned it on by the end of the season. So I think there's real opportunities there. Kentucky, South Carolina are 50-50 games for Mizzou. They should beat Florida. They should beat Arkansas in my mind this year. So there's opportunities there. You just got to find a way to get to eight. Coming up next, Dylan Carlson just can't catch a catch a break. This next segment will not be me being critical of Dylan Carlson. It will, however, be us discussing what this most recent injury means for his future here in St. Louis. How does this impact what the Cardinals wants to do with him? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Today we talked to Jim Bowden. He's a former Major League Baseball general manager. And Jim told us he thinks if the Cardinals trade Dylan Carlson this offseason, it'll be the next Randy Orozarena deal. It'll be the next Adolis Garcia situation where you gave up on a talented young outfielder before he was really able to stake his claim into your outfield. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Well, Dylan Carlson is once again no longer going to be able to make that stake in this outfield because he's back on the injured list. Alex, this is now more than 13 weeks of baseball 
that Dylan Carlson will have missed since August of 2021. So over the last two seasons, full season, two full calendar years, he's missed 13 weeks of Major League Baseball due to injuries. And that's before this oblique injury takes him out for we only we don't even know how long. He's had issues now with his wrist, his thumb, his ankle, his hamstring, and now an oblique issue all over the course of the last two calendar seasons. I'm not even talking about his on-field performance. Set that aside for a second. One of the biggest things that has come to frustrate us about Carlson, it's not even the games missed. It's him having to play through seemingly nagging injuries over the last couple of years. I really want wanted Carlson to become the guy that we all thought he was going to be. But what I now wonder is, even if the Cardinals wanted to move on after this season, I don't know if they're going to be able to. You might end up having to go into next season with Carlson as one of your four main outfielders because getting rid of him now feels like you're not just selling low on him. You might be selling at the lowest possible point for him. He's dealt with a season from hell when it comes to the injuries. He has not performed offensively and defensively. He's been really solid for you, but our team's really trading you much of significance for a solid defensive outfielder. I, I don't know, man. When you look at Dylan Carlson and what this season has done for his future here in St. Louis, how do you view it? Yeah, I think it's exactly what you said. I don't know if you can trade him this offseason because you're not going to get anything in return. And with the uncertainty of your outfield next year of, you know, Newt is going to be there. You hope Jordan Walker's defense improves. And then Tyler O'Neill's potential available or unavailable. It might be better to keep a Dylan Carlson. Here's the thing that I disagree with with Jim Bowden and everybody else who says it's going to be another Randy Rosarena. It just wasn't going to work out in St. Louis. Whenever he gets traded, because I do believe he will be moved at some point, it's not going to be a matter of, ha, oh, way to go, you gave up on the wrong guy. This guy wasn't going to pan out in St. Louis. And it's unfortunate for Dylan Carlson, but right now it feels like it's a guy who's defeated and is not going to be able to get back up after he's been knocked down. And he's been knocked down a lot, whether it's been because of injury, whether it's been because of guys leapfrogging him in the depth chart, or whether it was because the team basically stated you're a fourth outfielder. That's tough to come back from. But to say that he's going to be Randy Rosarena or Adolis Garcia or Lane Thomas, that will never happen for me because I hope he goes on to have success. And when he does, I'm going to look at this and say, yep, that's the type of player he was, but it was never going to be in yeah, St. That's Louis. That's the Cody Bellinger conversation, right? Like the yeah. Dodgers are probably looking at Bellinger this year in Chicago and saying, yeah, we knew he was capable of that. Yeah. This is not surprising. They decided to non-tender him, not because he wasn't a good player, but all of the uncertainty that surrounded him. And they decided it makes more sense for us to use those assets elsewhere, money specifically, as opposed to going out there and bringing him back to our club. We'll let somebody else try to get the best out of Cody Bellinger. That might be what's necessary for Dylan Carlson. And he's had almost 1,500 plate appearances while he's been here in St. Louis. The difference between he and Randy Rosarena, it's very simple. Randy Rosarena was never given the chance to fail here in St. Louis. People that are bringing up Lane Thomas, sorry, BK. Like Lane Thomas had like 80 at-bats with the Cardinals. Like that I can look at and say, yeah, you undervalued it. And Lane Thomas, it it was weird because he had COVID and it clearly affected him defensively. And he just, he wasn't right. So yeah. uh, Thomas has made, like, if you want to get on the Cardinals about Thomas, that's fine. I I said that it was more than time to move on from him. And I still look at that and 
I don't view Lane Thomas as some huge I mean, miss by the Cardinals yeah, organization. And, and, he would be he wouldn't he would still not be playing today. He's yeah. worse than any of the current outfielders and, in and terms of both pedigree and projection. Mm-hmm. Baseball as a whole has spoken to that because the Nationals wanted to trade him at the deadline. And why that. did they not trade him? Because nobody was asking the price the Nationals were asking for him was, hey, you're acquiring a starting caliber outfielder. Twenty home run hitter. And, Every other MLB team that's a contender went, no, we're not. We're acquiring a platoon bat. Yeah. So that's why, to BK's point, I don't think he'd be playing here it, right now either. It's the same conversation with Lane Thomas, and I know this is a different sidetrack, but as we talk about certain guys in the NHL, like somebody's got to score, right? Somebody's going to have to be the offensive juggernaut exactly. for that team, and that's what Lane Thomas is right now. So that that's the old thing that Kim Anderson used to tell me when I was covering Mizzou basketball was I would, I would talk about a guy who's like, averaging 20 points and he's like well somebody has to score for us <laughs> it's like it's true like you're probably gonna uh, score 70 points on a night and him. those 70 points have to come from somewhere <laughs> like the worst team in the country is gonna have somebody scoring 15 points for them and that everybody's got Mizzou a star at that time so that's kind of what it is with the nationals now it's different in baseball because you don't have that same thing like you don't have to get hits every night whereas yeah. in basketball you're going to score on a night in night out basis but still it's uh, it, it is certainly an interesting way to look at it. I do view the Carlson injury as being significant the rest of the way because it it opens up center field because as much as like even if they were kind of going back and forth with Carlson, he was getting three or four starts a week in center field for them regularly. And if he's going to be out for any extended period of time, and man, oblique injuries are tough. You never know. You got to be very cautious with it because it is a reaggravation waiting to happen. So this might be a couple of weeks or something before we were able to see Carlson again. If that ends up being the case, Newt Bar should start every day in center field for this foreseeable future. And my hope, my hope is that when Mason Wynn, no pun intended, is called up to the big leagues, hopefully this time next week, I want to see Tommy Edmond basically playing the Dylan Carlson role. Where a few times a week, specifically against a left-handed pitcher, left-handed starter, I want to see Tommy Edmond getting some of those starts out in center field. Because you need to find out now, is that part of your plan with him moving forward? Is he going to be a super utility guy for you next year when Mason Wynn is your everyday starting shortstop? Because otherwise, I, I don't really know where Tommy Edmond fits in. He can play second base really well, but are you replacing Nolan Gorman with him? Probably not. He can play center field pretty well. Are you playing him every day out there? Probably not. So maybe it becomes a situation where he plays one day at shortstop, one day at second, one day in center, and then you figure it out from there depending on what everybody else needs a a day off with. That's where I'm at, too. I think Lars Nupar should get the bulk of starts in center field the rest of the way because he's going to be your center fielder next year unless you're acquiring somebody to play that position. And Tommy Edmond can get those. Tommy Edmond is essentially fighting for that utility role next season. And I think Brendan Donovan is going to have the upper hand, but depending on what your decision is of keeping Tommy Edmond or trading Tommy Edmond, find out how useful he is as the backup center fielder and the backup second baseman and backup shortstop. Yeah, I I don't even have a problem if they don't play Edmond when it comes down to that stretch because I won't win every day in short. I want Newport every day in center. And he's not a guy that's a platoon guy. Newport's a guy that's going to start against lefties. In fact, they're probably going to start throwing him at the top of the lineup against yep. left-handers. And then when it comes to what is Edmond's role then, I don't know what his role is because I think at DH you're probably giving Luke and Baker a look at DH. And left you're going to have O'Neal, right you're going to have Walker, and at second you're going to have Gorman. So I, I don't know what Edmonds' role is going to be. And I think he can. Pl- I think the role of a bench guy is what he's going to be next year. So I don't have an issue if he's not in the lineup when it comes to this time where Mason Wynn is up because I think going into next year to the conversation around Carlson, I, I think you're selling low on Carlson. I think you're selling low on O'Neal, And you're going to go – we have better outfielders in left with Burleson and Donovan in terms of a production standpoint. 
and then we can also throw Edmund out there if we want to and put him in center field and put Newbar in left. I, I don't think Edmund has anything else to prove in center field. I think he proved enough with that small sample we saw earlier in the year. We had somebody on the text line say, guys, is BK drunk? Carlson was not getting three to four starts a week. Guys, he started 13 of the, or excuse me, 17 of the 30 games in center field prior to going on the injured list. He was getting about 60% of the starts in center field for your Cardinals. I I don't know how what else you wanted them to do. That means he's starting against a lot of right-handed pitchers, which is not the quote-unquote smart thing to do with him, but they used him for his defense out there. And when he wasn't starting in center, they were putting Lars Newbar out there. I, I would flip that where Lars Newbar is getting 60% of the starts in center field, and then the 40% comes from Tommy Edmund. But none of that matters until you call up Mason Wynn. In the meantime... Tommy Edmonds, your everyday shortstop, and you kind of continue making this thing work. Just to ask one question before we break, T-Bone brought it up, which made me think, who would you rather sell low on this offseason, Carlson or O'Neal? Oh, I I mean, O'Neal, for sure. That's who I would, too. I would sell low on O'Neal and just get whatever I had in return and just keep Dylan Carlson as that fourth outfielder. John Mozeliak going to be speaking to the media today at 3.30 out at Bush Stadium. So is he going to – what do we we anticipate? Let's get to our speculation on that. Tinfoil time coming up next here on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 espn.com and the free 101 espn app is where you go to find it it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers john mosaloc speaking to the media coming up at 3 30 he does this occasionally beginning of a series it's been less so this year team's not been good i mean let's be honest uh, i i get it but alex what do you think will be the biggest thing that comes out of his media availability today reckless speculation time when mason win is going to be recalled I think this is going to be... Well, we want to see him. Uh, He just came back this weekend from his uh, injury and we want to make sure that he has some success down at AAA. Damn it, Mo, answer my question. Is he coming up in five days? Well, you know, something we're considering. answer my question. Depends on how his glutes feeling. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think he's going to give you anything on that. I think he's going to give you the same answer on Mason Wynn as what we've heard, which is we want to see... We're weighing the value of him having confidence down there versus the experience of the big league level. I think two. Thi- I, I do think it's something that has to be asked, though. I think two things that kind of that I'm going to keep an eye on and see if it's either a asked or b answered by Mo. What's the future of the outfield kind of look like now that Carlson's on the IL? O'Neill, we know kind of the up and down with him and the talk around him. What's the outfield? Do they project it moving forward? Because if they sell low on, they might even get something in return for O'Neill now. Now that he's playing well when he's been healthy. Will they sell low on Carlson? If that's the case, there's only two outfielders plugged into a three-man outfield. You got Newpar Walker, who's in left. Or however you want to align it, and then the and then the second thing for me, how what what's the plan with Libertor Hudson moving forward? Are those guys that they are actually starting to seriously consider to be number fives? I I don't think he's going to say directly, hey Libertor is going to be the fifth man in our rotation next year, but he could hint at something to where it is, hey we think we found something to where maybe we have a con competition going into spring for the number five spot. Next I would year. add Thompson to that list. I, I would ask him, well, how do you guys view? the long-term future of Zach Thompson. Is he a starter or a reliever for you? And then he'll probably say, oh, a combination of both. How's it Alex Ferrario and God. Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next.
You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.